Coming up on another episode of the Front Page Football Podcast, we've got a Matildas wrap-up for you. We've got an A-League men wrap-up, a, a very long one at that. This is a long podcast, but um, what a weekend, seriously. Uh, i get into it a little bit more when we start off the A-League. Absolutely fantastic. So many goals, um, so many interesting storylines from Bruno Fornaroli's four goals and Melbourne City being uh, thrashed in Adelaide. Just just so much happening. Uh, it was absolutely fantastic to to witness, but uh, I don't want to talk for too long. What I will say is, and I mentioned this at the end of the podcast, please, if you listen through the whole podcast, even if you listen through the bits, just let us know what you think. Um, give us any suggestions, any things you want to see different, maybe, any segments, anything like that. We're happy to accommodate. And yeah, just let us know. But without further ado, I'm your host, Christian Marchetti, and we'll be back right after this. Welcome back to another episode of the Front Page Football Podcast, round two of the A-League men's season. We are back again, and what a weekend in the A-League men it was. 28 goals across six games, a four-goal haul, under-23 stars stealing the show, Melbourne City hit for six, Western hit for five, Sydney starting zero and two, and the subplots really are already so intriguing, and we still have 24 rounds to play. Breaking it down with me this week is the same crew from last week. We're running it back with Jake Holub, Cody Ajada, and Antonis Bagonis. First of all, Antonis, let's start with you. How are you going? Very good. You communicated very well in English this week. I spared you by not sharing those incriminating screenshots from last week. But yeah, good to be back, ready to go. And 24 rounds plus a Unite round that we're very excited about because something else is missing. So yeah, go Australian football. For anyone who didn't listen to the podcast last week, uh, Antonis cannot understand simple instructions. Um, and now he's trying to, uh, publicly, uh, tarnish my, my reputation as a, as an excellent communicator. Thank you very yeah, much. Yeah, I wasn't going to say good name. Excellent communicator. Anyway, uh, <laughs> Cody, how are you going? Um, yeah, I'm doing good. I don't think I can follow up with the banter that Antonis is able to provide, but yeah, life's just trudging along, I guess. Um, got my, Debut in a press conference on the weekend, at least in terms of the A-League men's. Uh, so, yeah, I, I really can't complain at the moment. Doing pretty well. How was the uh, vibe with John Aloisi after uh, after his side lost 5-0? I mean, you can't exactly expect it to be completely great, can you? But no, he came in front of the media. Well, he wasn't overly angry towards anyone else. You could say he was disappointed. But look, I don't think this is a result reflective of what Western United can do this season. I still think they'll be there or thereabouts within the six. Maybe not at the upper echelon of the league, but they're, they're still a good side. I think it's just a bump in the road for them. Yeah, yeah, we might, uh, we'll see. We might get into that a little bit more later. Jake, how are you going? Oh, I'm good, mate. Um, like Cody, I guess I'm in a busy period with exams, or well, not exams, assignments. So, you know, that's a bit sucky, but had a great round of the uh, A-League. I was, I was, like you said, 28. I think it was the third highest ever in terms of goals scored. It yes. was just every in game. The, in the A-League era, yes. Yeah, in the A-League era, sorry. Um, but yeah, every game was just seemingly topping each other. Uh, like, like I, I think I said in the group chat after, like, I need to sleep after that last game. Like, that was just, there was just too much going on with the Matildas as well, which we're going to, you know, discuss a little bit later. But uh, yeah, that, that was just one of the craziest weekends of football I've seen for a while. 
I think there was like a five minute period when Adelaide were just piling it on in Melbourne City and me and Jake were like back and forth texting just caps caps lock on only. I'm pretty sure. Um such such was the just incredible nature of what was going on. Um but uh before we get into talking more about the A-League men, uh, we should start by talking about the Matildas um, because, of course, um, you know our team, Australia's team, were in action against Iran and the Philippines. Two wins, 10 goals scored, not conceded, can't really complain. Um, and I'm going to go to Cody here because uh, I'm sure, given the women's football expert that he is, he was uh, across these two games. Cody, why don't you kick us off? We're just going to have a brief discussion about the Matildas. What uh What's give us your overall thoughts? What did you like? Anything maybe you didn't like? Anything you thought was interesting? Maybe from team selection or, or anything else? Um, first of all, I'm still trying to wrap my head around women's football expert. I know you've been saying it for six months now, but it, it's it still is a weird feeling every time six, I hear six it. Six months. Settle, settle down. No, that's pretty there. Are you saying it's more or less? I, I haven't been saying for six months. Maybe <laughs> two months? Yeah, look, well, either way. Um, and another thing that I like that you said, Australia's team, I think that's about as yeah. representative as you can get of this team. It's Australia's favorite sporting national team at the moment, isn't it? Um, the Wallabies are a little bit shit. The soccer is on an upwards trajectory, but the Matildas have still managed to overtake them. And it, it's what a, a home World Cup does, I guess. The atmosphere, the vibes around this team are absolutely nuts. And you're talking for a game and no disrespect to the Philippines, but it's not exactly a high quality match or a very important tournament or competitive game that we're playing in. Yeah, sure, it's more than a friendly, but it's an early Olympics qualifier, and we've gotten 59,000 people to pack into a stadium to watch them because they're that desperate for Matilda's football. The the trajectory that women's football is going in this country, and in particular with the Matildas, is absolutely crazy. You talk about what I liked, I think everything. I, I don't know if there's much I can say I didn't like. The first game against Iran. Oh, so you so you liked Iran's time wasting? Well, that's not the Matildas, is it? If Iran want to come and do that themselves, good on them. I, I have no respect for that. I don't care if they came away with a two-nil win. I don't care if oh yeah, they had a good story to be here. Miss me with that bullshit. They play they played disgustingly. I can't I cannot stand that. Jesus. I, that's what I, mean. I saw people debating on it about it on Facebook as well, where it's like, oh, what are the Philippines doing? Why would you play like that against Australia? Yeah, but was it wasn't it not just just quickly on that? Wasn't it not Iran? kind of took that approach because they knew they were going to lose, but they thought, well, if we can keep the ball out basically as long as possible and concede less goals, which to be honest, they probably achieved their target in the end, then we've got a chance of being one of the best second place teams. They don't have a chance of being the second best second place team anyway. They've got to find a way to win the other games and they're not going to do a playing like that, are they? There's not, there, if they play like that, there's no way in hell that they're beating the Philippines. And if they wanted to be the best second place team, they would have needed to beat Taiwan, which they haven't done. So I'm not sure. Anyway. I'm not sure who Cody hates more, Camel Grabara or Iran's women's national team. Oh, Camel Grabara, very easily. I cannot stand that guy, and I, I, it still pains me to hear his name. Oh, I won't say I have a hatred for um the Iran women's national team, but more a deep yearning to dislike them and their style of play. That's that's probably where my train of thought is going. But anyway, I don't really want to talk about them. I want to talk about the Matildas yes, because yes, you're right. It's quite what say, they Cody, the positivity merchant isn't quite what I expected. <laughs> positivity <laughs> merchant. I'm, I'm positive about the Matildas. I'm positive about Australian football. Well, whatever Iran produced in that game was barely classified as football. It was just yeah. Let's get let's every time they brush near us, let's fall on the floor in time waste, Even though we're going to lose two nil, and then we're going to go in the next game, and we're going to lose anyway. But back to the Matildas because. You're talking, most of the girls are having a 24-hour flight to get here. You come, half of them aren't even ready to play yet. 
they can go into a game like that where you, you do have an opposition frustrating you. And as a top team in the world now, which they are, we've got to be realistic about them. Obviously, you're going to come up against teams like that that are just going to go out there and do everything they can to frustrate you. And in that respect, I can understand what they went through in that game. But for them to overcome that and to just purely go, yeah, we're here, we're going to play some football and we're going to eventually find a way to break them down, that's fantastic to see. There's times in the past when Matildas go through a game like that and they don't get a result. The Asian Cup is the best example of it. The last time we played the Philippines where they were probably a little bit more back to the wall, we went the first half without scoring a goal. People were already throwing on the warning signs. You go later on in that tournament, we played against South Korea, obviously not the same way Iran were doing it, but they sat back, they tried to frustrate us and then break on the counter. We, we weren't able to overcome that. Even the Thailand game before, in the middle of that, we had a 2-1 win where it, realistically we should be doing a lot better than that against a side like that. But now we're going into these games, it's like, yeah, we know we've got the quality where we can stick to our football and still come away with the result. And that's fantastic to see. There was an interesting stat in that game at one stage. I think Iran had 11 or 12 clearances and 80 minutes into the game and we had none. And it shows every time the Matildas got the ball, we're that confident that we can just go and play it out. And yeah, the opposition's um, not very good, but it still shows the mentality and the style of play that Tony's trying to implement really coming to the forefront in a game where I guess it should. That's enough on the Iran game. You look at the Philippines as well, and I think everything just about went right. We needed a big performance and... You know, talking after the World Cup as well, and then maybe after the Iran game, I know one of you said it off air, where after what fans went through in the first game, they really deserved a great performance in the second game. And the Matildas delivered a full-strength side. They needed to come in, they needed to perform, and they needed to get a strong victory to, you know, bump our goal difference up because that may determine who we play in the next Mm -hmm. round. And you couldn't ask for a better result against a side that went to the World Cup as well. You know, Philippines are no scrubs. They're not a... Sweden or USA or anything, but they were good enough to make the last World Cup. They're one of the top five teams in Asia, arguably. And we did fantastic to beat them. Everything that the Matildas did on Sunday went right. And it's kind of, we'll talk about the Adelaide game later, but it was the same thing where you get that feeling every time they go forward, something's going to happen, someone's going to score. And when you've got Fowler doing her thing, you've got Sam Kerr doing her thing in the box, just getting there, getting the shot, scoring, even being able to take some players on eventually. And Caitlin Ford, turning into prime Ronaldo. It's it's absolutely fantastic to see. Yeah, and what about get your thoughts on Amy Sayer? Obviously we saw in the first game and uh I think a lot of the lot of the commentary around her and her performances have been have been positive. Claire Wheeler scoring yesterday as well, which was which was massive to see. We we hear Tony Gustafson talk about, you know, depth, 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 and he talked about during the World Cup, although we didn't really see it, that twenty three for twenty three sort of thing. Um now, maybe in this next cycle, are we going to start to see, you know, these, particularly in the lead up to the Olympics, the likes of the Wheelers, the Sayers now start to get more minutes and now maybe push for more minutes in more meaningful games, I guess? Well, you have to think they're going to get some more minutes in these games, wouldn't you? I mean, I think when it came to the last game, he probably rotated his squad purely because some of the, pla- some of the more first team players just weren't yeah. ready to play. They're obviously coming off those long flights as well, but. Now players like Wheeler, players like Say are showing they can come into a game and impact it. You know, usually he's relying on players like Van Egmont who came in, was maybe a little bit anonymous when she came off the bench against the Philippines. But someone like Say, I don't know if we've even seen the best of her as well. Like, yeah, look, she put out some good performances, but I think there's still another level that she can go to. And it's a tough task when you're coming into a game or starting a game in place of Sam Kerr. It's obviously a massive boost to fill. So when that's your comparison point, obviously there's going to be questions around you, but 
you know, for a player that at her age and at the stage of the career that she's at, you got to remember, yeah, she's played W League before, but she spent the last few years essentially playing youth football in USA. It's a good level, but it's also not the level that some of the other girls are playing at. She's only really hit that senior football in Europe now or overseas now. So I think there's still a lot more to come from her. And as she gets more match minutes at that level in Europe, we will see her get better because she is an unbelievably talented player. But maybe give it one or two years before we see her being a real, having a real impact on this team, I guess. What about what about Sam Kerr? Because um, Hattrick yesterday. Now I think I think it was you uh, who was talking about, or you tweeted about actually Sam Kerr's goal record. Can you give maybe the listeners a little bit of context around this because it's actually it's actually quite impressive, and I don't think a lot of media is really getting around uh, this stat. I think they're not getting around it because it is kind of an unofficial record. Literally, the only reason why I know about it is because I read Andy Howe's book on the soccer is, and I was just um flicking through it, just trying to see who was playing for him, what stats were there. And I saw this guy, George Smith, who had 66 goals for the Socceroos, if you count his unofficial games, in 26 games, mind you, which is absolutely crazy. But um, I was doing the numbers. I realized Sam Kerr, she hasn't played, or as far as I'm concerned, hasn't played in any unofficial games, but she definitely hasn't scored in any unofficial games for the Matildas. So I saw she had 65. He was on 66. So I was like, okay, there's a chance she could actually break it in, in this international break. I thought it would come on Wednesday. The fact that she's done it already is <laughs> sublime to herself. But you're talking and this guy, Captain the Soccer Roos, a lot of people don't know about him, but this guy was our top goal scorer from the 1930s to the 1970s, in the early 1970s. And that was officially, unofficially, that record still stands. No Soccer has scored more official or unofficial goals than him. But Sam Kerr is now both technically and officially this country's greatest ever goal scorer. And I think that's something that, should be celebrated, not just because it shows how good Sam Kerr is as a footballer, but it is also not to history for a guy that, you know, is largely unknown in the Australian football community. If I said the name George Smith to you, it's just basically like saying John Smith. It sounds like a fake name, but this is a guy that captained our country, scored a lot of goals for our country, and wore our national jersey with a lot of pride as well. Is John Smith a fake name? I think there's a lot of John Smiths out there, isn't there? Well, this guy's George Smith. That's what I meant. Yeah, just a very common one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, actually, Antonis, let me ask you because um, your your girl Alex Chitty actually started against Iran. Uh, so you would have <laughs> you would have been yeah. loving that. But um, uh, I, I don't know. I don't know how much you caught of these two games because obviously, you know, uh, credit to our guy Matt Olson. Actually, I should I should give public credit because he's been across all of this for us. Um, a shame we couldn't get him on. Um, because obviously, you know, we're mainly talking about the A-League men uh, in this podcast. But Jake and Antonis, and Antonis, I'll start with you. How much did you get to see, I guess, and, and what, did, what, what did you make of it? Yeah, I watched the full first game against Iran, unfortunately. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm in the same boat, I know. <laughs> yeah, um, and the second game, I watched bits and pieces between getting to the um, Adelaide United game and just while I was watching on my phone. But yeah, it was good to see the squad rotated in the first game. Um, and again, as a South Australian, great to see both Chids and Charlie Grant start. I did think Chids had a couple of very nice moments, but again, it's one of those games. I don't feel like she's a player that really benefits from that stop-start nature of no. the game. She's one that just needs the game to flow. But yeah, all things considered, solid performance in a game that you're going to have the ball. She's just a player that gets things happening, you know? So as Cody mentioned, great to watch the Matildas again on home soil. And it's good to see them in Perth, the place where obviously didn't get to play in the World Cup. And like I said, off air, that it was great to see Sam Kerr get a hat-trick on home soil, her state. 
in front of nearly 60,000 people, especially after that first game, where despite the win, everyone probably left a little bit frustrated by just how that game played out, really. So, yeah, great stuff. And looking forward to see how we go with the last one. And and before scoring that hat-trick, Sam Kerr, the State Football Centre in WA gets renamed the Sam Kerr Football Centre. So, I mean, it's just, yeah, it's a great weekend if you're uh, if you're Sam Kerr. Um, Jake, did you catch any of these games or were you too busy um, um, being frustrated at your fantasy picks for, for the A-League this week? Uh, I, I did catch the first one. Um, I think it was a Thursday, so it was, it was pretty good time. There wasn't anything else on. Yeah, it was yeah. a great game. Actually, no, it wasn't. It was a terrible game to watch. I was trying <laughs> to think about the thing. That was just, yeah, it was just not, not, not beautiful on the eye. But, you know, at the end of the day, the 2 nil victory, like, you, you take it. But, um, yeah, as a relatively new uh, Tillys fan, I haven't really seen, you know, obviously with the World Cup, you know, every game's pretty competitive. But I haven't really seen, you know, the Tillys just whip a team. You know what I mean? So it was lovely to watch. And, like... Three goals and four assists in one game for Caitlin Ford. Has mm. that ever, like, has a stat like that ever been recorded in like a proper official game? That is absolutely ridiculous. She was. Cody, you got anything on that? <laughs> well, Archie Thompson scored thirteen in one game. That is true, but I, I, I would, I would say that like this is more competitive, though. like respective. And to, Sam Kerr did score five more. goals in the Asian <laughs> Cup in one game last year as well, but yeah. that was just Indonesia. Yeah, yeah but the, the seven, seven goal contribution. Hmm. Like especially like three, usually yeah, you get like tons of goals, but like three goals, four assists. I don't know. So I'm hoping she also gets a team week in uh, FIFA because she's really, really good. I've been playing over. Um, and in terms of the fantasy picks, I'll, I'll go on about that later because um, yeah, I'm, <laughs> and, I'm, uh, not and I'm not happy. Yeah, yeah. Um, that was that was that was in some of uh in Jake's text uh, over the weekend as well. Absolutely furious that the uh, the other host of our fantasy podcast can't um can't can't uh. Get fantasy points. Um, and hey, at least um, Talbot didn't lose you fourteen. Uh, um, Mary Fowler scoring as well is always nice. Um, so yeah, great. To Mary see that. Fowler playing is always nice. Really, she's true. One of those players that's just a genuine joy to watch. And I'll go on a little bit here because there's something that a good friend of ours, Kieran Yap, uh, said to me actually uh, with the young players that are coming through now, and he mentioned more some of the ones that are still in the A-League, but Mary Fowler falls under this umbrella as well. We now have a group of girls that are coming through that have spent their lives playing football, growing up with it, whereas the girls that have come through before, uh, Sam Kerr obviously grew up playing AFL, Caitlin Ford, I believe, grew up playing rugby, and they still turn, we still managed to get them into world beaters. The fact that we've now got a group of girls that have grown up playing the sport and are showing another level of technical excellence. You watch um, Mary Fowler play, She's someone I do believe when she gets to the height of her career is going to be better than the likes we've had before. And, you know, we talk about the Matildas being in a golden generation. This is a team that's just going to get better and better. I don't think this is a golden generation just yet. I think we've still got a lot more to come in the next 10, 15 years, really. Ooh, all right. Positive Merchant coming up with uh with his latest positive Yeah, but am take. I wrong? No, no, I'm not saying no. I'm just exactly. saying positive <laughs> take. Whoa, yeah, whoa, this whoa. isn't the time to call me a positive merchant. This is facts only. Hey, I'll, talk you, I'll tell you you're a positive merchant whether it's right or wrong. <laughs> if it's That's positive, just rude. It's just rude. <laughs> it's rude. Uh, um, all right. on for the girls here, man. <laughs> all right. Huge weekend in the A League, men. Um, I've actually been really excited to talk about this because, I mean, yesterday alone, we're recording this uh, obviously on Monday night. So yesterday was Sunday's games. Um, was just just so awesome. Um, those <laughs> particularly the victory Newcastle, and then obviously the Adelaide City game. Um, which me and Antonis were obviously at, just 
just incredible. Um, to see the amount of goals, obviously, is is you know fantastic. But just like I, I don't know what it was. There was good quality. There was good noise. I felt just in the stands. It just really felt like the A League is back, but not just back, but like yeah, like this is actually hey, everyone should be able to get behind this, you know. Um, and it was yeah, just fantastic to experience it. But um. Let's let's do what we started last week on the pod, and we'll go around and, and and do it again. So everyone's three main talking points from from the weekend of A League Man action. So Jake, I'll start with you, um, and it has to, you can't include uh, your fantasy in the talking points, okay? Oh, I won't. I I I prefer to just completely forget about that ever happened, and uh, just forget the existence of front page fantasy because I'm a fraud. But anyways, um, so first we have my first point Stop is claim fraud. I don't think you say that every day. Yeah, um, I'll, 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 I'll admit it. I'm, I, I, I'm probably a fraud, but uh, that's a, uh, you know, it's, a, it's, it's a learning, it's a learning curve. But Jesus and then we'll have Christ. one of the teams that have perhaps cursed me a little bit, a little bit later in my points. But the first one is Sydney FC have forgotten how to play football, especially how to score a goal. Um, what the hell has happened? Like that, the, the, they've gone from you know not long ago dominating the Australia Cup to. I don't even know. Like, like, what has happened? Just it's just been such a quick turnover. I'm just I'm I'm baffled. Um, then next we have looks like the Mariners are going to struggle without Monty for a bit. I'm sure they can turn it over. They've got the talent. Um, but yeah, Mark Jackson just hasn't got it working yet. At least um, it's it's especially funny because they have like the same system, same look, but it's just it's just not happening. The outcomes just not there. Then we have like on the other uh, side of the spectrum, Western Sydney have remembered how to play football. Um, what a performance! Five goals. Uh, in the they first they listened to us last week. They must have. No, I, I I did say like again. We'll go on a little bit later, but like I made some great calls in that last episode. I first said, "Don't worry about them. They're gonna bounce back quick." And bang. And then for my question, which is the one I had a very similar question last week, I didn't want to do City again, but what else can you do? Is it code red time at City for Raw? Well, we're saving that, the questions at the end. We're saving the questions at the end. Oh, I'm sorry. Sorry. sorry, 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 sorry. <laughs> oh, my God. Sorry. I, I, I got a bit too excited there. But yeah, that, 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 that's my hope. Well, here's, here's the preview. Jake's abusing Rado again on the podcast. <laughs> I'm not going to say it was something, but like, Rado loves it. To be fair, he was right last week. And 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 I said it as well. Um, But we'll we'll get to that. Um, Cody, yeah. what about your, your, your three points? Um, Okay. I'll try and do this a little bit quickly. I, I did bring up the Wanderers, and I said that they were still a quality side last week, and just it was about how they moved forward from, you know, maybe lackluster opening performance. That was the exact reaction that we needed from the Wanderers. Fantastic performance, five goals, can't ask for much more. Second point, um, I'm just going to say it, Cameron Cook should probably be starting for Perth. I will leave it there for now. And three, if you want to be an ambitious club, you shouldn't be complaining about playing in multiple competitions. Ooh. All right, um, and uh, yeah, well, maybe um, was that was that uh, just Carl Viet? Because Carl Viet said before the Melbourne City game, he said uh, about the time of the game being moved, and he said, uh, you know, like we're happy to help out, basically to help teams, you know, uh, do better in Asia, which I think is fair enough. Um, this and is then- more at right or after the game saying where we've had a poor result, but how are we meant to bounce back when we've got this game coming up and then yeah. we've got to go uh, play in Asia, then we've got to have another game. You're, you're, a, you're at the top club in Australia. You want to be ambitious. You want to be competitive over all of them. You're going to end up with a fixture congestion. 
is something you've got to work with, I wouldn't be complaining about it. Yeah. No, fair enough. Fair enough. And uh, yeah, I think, uh, I think, look, I can probably put it already in there that Rado is going to be one of our main topics that we're going to talk about here. Uh, Antonis, what about you? Yeah, just before I go to my three points, I think, you know, when we approach Christmas time and all these random pages on social media go and say, do you remember the 1963 EPL Boxing Day and have all these crazy scores? <laughs> that, that'll be round Every two year. of A-League Men's Season 2023-2024. Um, with these results that we got this week, some crazy results. But my three points. So, number one, no surprise, Adelaide United, 9-0. I'm shocked. Against the grand finalists of last year with the youth starring. Number two, Wanderers and West United completely flipped around one script in their game. And three, the Mariners not capitalizing on the positive play and punished again. Mm, 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 yep. Mariners is definitely an interesting one. And uh, wow, absolutely shocked that Antonio started with Adelaide United as one of his points. Like totally shocked. Anyway, let's get to, <laughs> let's get to my my points. Um, I, I had the same sort of thing with the goals. I mean, you can't, it's 28 goals in six games. Uh, now, Matt's off the top of my head, something like, what are you talking? Something like uh, just over four goals a game on average. Yeah. so. I mean, incredible stuff. Like that's massively eye catching, um, from, from the, from the, uh, from the weekend. And then one man who scored four of those goals was Bruno Fornaroli. I actually can't believe none of you uh, mentioned Bruno Fornaroli in your three points, but, um, I thought Jack would do it. That's why I left it. Jake would do it. Sorry. There's no Jack on this podcast, buddy. Yeah. Jack, Jake. I, I, I saw the JAK there, man. <laughs> Sorry. No, I, 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 I was very. Wait, hang on, hang on. Hey, you looked at his name on the Zoom call to remember his name. Unbelievable. No, I just had a quick look. I was just, it was Sorry, a slip of the tongue. Sorry, sorry Jake, and sorry Jack, man. when he eventually listens back to this. Unbelievable. Anyway, uh, still can't believe neither of you mentioned Bruno Fornaroli. I mean, four goals in one half. Like Rosona. I said, I thought Jake would do it. <laughs> He's yeah, our okay, Melbourne okay, guy. Okay, all right, all right. We've moved past that. So a Rabona finish. Um. Basically, telling anyone who who doubted him as the nine for victory this season to 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 go and do one, basically, because that was just that was just incredible. Um, and then my final point would be on Rado Fidesic and the absolute disaster class that was served up yesterday in Adelaide. And although Antonis right Adelaide were sensational and they were clinical, um, and they just had fantastic contributions from everywhere, which we're going to get to in a moment with Rado. A lot of issues, which I saw from a very good vantage point yesterday, uh, which, yeah, don't really bode well at the moment. And I I concur with Cody's comments about Rado's post-match uh, press conference and some of the comments that he made. And doesn't seem to be a lot of belief emanating from, from uh, that camp at the moment. So let's get into that a little bit more now. Uh, Rado Vitasic. So, Jake, I'm going to start with you because <laughs> last week you came flaming in right, when we did the big questions. To be fair, I, I said as well, you know, that round two basically loomed as like a huge game for Rado Vitisic. Um, And you were kind of, you basically out on him already as a Melbourne City coach. And to be honest, you got a massive validation with the performance that we saw yesterday. So why don't you give us your thoughts on what you saw from Melbourne City? Look, I, I think I said, um, I don't know I said it to you, but like, I, I okay, they lost 6-0, but I actually wouldn't, like say that was the worst performance. I think if you're looking at XG wise, 
Like, it was actually a very tight game. XG you Merchant. Know, yeah, okay, yeah, XG, da, da, da. But at the end of the day, it, it can be a relatively decent indicator of how the game went. Like, first you had a Nestry screamer, then um, there was the own goal, and then Jamie McLaren misses a penalty. It just, it did seem like it just wasn't their day. But I think the thing that really concerned me was just the complete utter capitulation at the end of the game. That That is un- absolutely unexcusable. Like, that was a joke. Like, Sorry, but if Patrick is Norbo's the coach there, I do not see that happening. At the end of the, like, it was just I I've never seen anything like it of a city team to just fall apart like that. Like that is very uncharacteristic. Um, I think now yeah that that's their worst ever loss. Um, you know I think there was in their last three games they've conceded thirteen, scored two. Like there's so many new records being broken at the moment here with Melbourne City. Conceded six goals in two two of their last three A League games. Yep. Exactly. This isn't a nor. I, I don't think this is a normal, um, sort of up and down. I, I, I think this is something different. I've, yeah, as, as you know, I said in the last one, and um, you know, there was a people were hesitating, and I said, clip it. There, there, something's not right. Something's not right here. He, he wants it clipped again. We didn't actually I, clip it. Yeah, no, exactly. Yeah, because I, I think I would have been a good clip as well. Because I, I, it, I smelled End of season compilation to confirm it. Just be careful about making sweeping statements before the season about the A League. That's all. Yes, but look, I, I, I'm, I'm very interested. Obviously, we'll talk about this later in the big questions. But I'm just very interested to see what's yeah. what's next for City because I, 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 I don't think this is a normal thing. Like I think there's something, something's gonna give way. Whether Rado clicks and it sort of all comes together, whether he goes, I have no idea. But I. I, I would say, yeah, like th- this is something to really think and potentially worry about if you're a City fan at the moment. Yeah, so there was today, I believe, there's a report which has come out, uh, kind of suggesting that you know he's he's on the brink. Um, I don't know. I mean, Antonis, we were in that press conference room yesterday, and I mean, any look, any coach is going to be it's it's going to be you know dire when your team obviously loses six nil, but. I don't know. It, it didn't. It definitely didn't feel like a uh, <laughs> a very positive um, Melbourne City camp at all. Uh, not not in the sense of it's just a setback and you know we'll we'll get back to our best. It it did kind of feel like something more sinister. Um, and the thing which I point to during the game, um, which I wrote in 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 my piece earlier today, uh, which which more focused on Adelaide, but there were parts in there about Melbourne City, um, was the actual frustration. Like, and this is kind of tying into something Jake said, like Melbourne City, you know, you think of years gone by, when when you really ever see a Melbourne City team lose their cool, you know what I mean? Like maybe maybe with when Bruno Fonaroli was there, you know, maybe he'd had the old game where he could he could maybe um, you know, cross the line potentially. But you know, you never really see that with Melbourne City. They've always been a, a kind of team which stays composed, they stay stick to their job, and usually more often than not they get the job done. But yesterday there was you know, referees getting criticism. You know, one of the city assistants got a yellow card. And obviously, that's it's just a matter of, okay, they're 6 nil down. Of course, going to be frustrated. But Jamie Young, the amount of times I saw him remonstrating, like proper remonstrating with his teammates that's yesterday. That's just him, though. Now, I know yeah, that is just him. But there was, as identified in the article, there was a point, basically, Adelaide played out one at one stage in the second half. Johnny Yell, Steven Yagarkovic got completely drawn to the ball. Johnny Yell was in an acre of space in the middle of the pitch. He received it. He turns and he goes. It's a 4v3. City are in big trouble. Nothing came of it. Ball goes out for a goal kick. Jamie Young comes sprinting from his goal to halfway, 
literally the halfway to his center backs, but he's yelling at his forwards about pressing this, that, and the other. Now, I know Jamie Young is a little bit like that. I get it. But I've never seen him do that before. Like, there was a real kind of, there was a real sense of like, you know, what the hell is going on with you guys sort of thing. Um, And I don't know. Look, Cody touched on Rado's comments afterwards about, you know, the, the Asian Champions League travel and, and maybe him kind of trying to deviate and blame it on that. I mean, obviously, when you look at how lethargic they were, definitely that would be a contributing factor. But, I mean, the thing which shocked me as well yesterday was there, there was actually no sort of pressing from Melbourne City, like, at all in the game. You know, you think of Melbourne City, you think, okay, it's a high-pressing team, possession-based team. They want to be on the front foot controlling the game. Um, and, you know, I don't think we saw that at all yesterday. It's it's not a Melbourne City side we're used to watching play. It's because it's not a Melbourne City side. It's the first time in how many years yeah. they've had such sweeping changes. And I think even like Jamie Young, even the Western United Championship team, I saw him do that. It's kind of his thing. I don't like it. But again, it's more of a thing for me that, okay, who is there to take that game on and say, we are Melbourne City, this is how we play. Because Jamie McLaren's there, but he's not a player that's going to possess the ball and do all these things. He had, what was it, seven touches, you know? it's You need someone there, and they just don't have that right now. That City DNA needs to be rediscovered with this new group of players that they've got. But, yeah, it has to happen under fire now because two losses to start the season, and... We'll talk about what's coming up next later on because it's part of my big mm. question. It's not an easy start of the season. I still think there there's plenty of talent there. They were obviously missing Arsenal yesterday as well. I do think they'll be all right. I do think they'll eventually play finals. But again, you want to get it right sooner rather than later. But once again, when it goes down to it, City doesn't get judged on making or missing finals. You know, you miss finals, it's mm. shocking. It, ridiculous. City gets judged on silverware. You have to get judged on the amount of investment and resource that you have. And they've got everything. So if you're not competing for a title, it's you're done. You know, that's what they get judged on. They have time to get it together. But yeah, it's it will take time. But yeah, it's not pretty early. But we'll so are they going to get it together with Rado Vidicic or without Rado Vidicic? Uh, I'm just going to ask you straight out. Yeah, yeah. I, It depends what you consider getting together. Do I think Rado Vidicic will win silver with his team? No. Do I think he'll get them to play finals? Probably. But yeah, I yeah. I don't know. I, me personally, I don't. And I said that when he first signed there as well. I don't know if he's the man for this. And that's why I was slightly confused about the big show of uh, support for him when he's got a contract that runs into the end of the next season. You know, I thought that was slightly unnecessary with for someone that inherited the team and now that he's had to rebuild, we kind of get to see what him and his side are really made of. But again, plenty of time, but it's not pretty early. But I mean is it is it all is it all doom and gloom? Because I mean they did have a they did have a good win in the Champions League midweek. He has, you know, I mean, there have been some results, there have been some games where we've seen some decent performances. Is it, are we are we jumping the gun? Is is it too early to really put them under the microscope? Hey, look, it's not doom and gloom, but it's you hold them to the standard they set for themselves. Mm. You know, we're not inventing something here. We 
are talking about the side that's made the last how many grand finals, and you judge them by that standard. You know, if the Newcastle Jets have the same start of the season, obviously we don't talk about them like this, but we judge the team by what they've shown us it should be judged on. And this is why that heat is on. When you're a team like Melbourne City, you've got the resource of the City Football Group, you get judged accordingly because, let's face it, Adelaide United does not have those resources, you know? Mm. It's a very different approach they took and the game finished and six goals were the difference. And yeah, Jake mentioned that the game is much closer than that suggests, that penalty goes in, it's different, but no one's going to remember a penalty, no one's going to remember the XG, they're going to remember six and zero. And that's what this team is going to have to handle next week. That's what you have to mentally recover from with all these new faces in there. You know, that's your narrative now. And it's up to you to fix it. So, mm. yeah, it's not easy. But, again, they've got the talent there. It's just about piecing it together. And it's not going to be a one, two-week job. Yeah, all right, all right, Jake. It's six and zero. That's what we're going to remember, okay? Not your not your rubbish XG, all right? It's relevant. It's relevant. It's true. is relevant. It actually is relevant. I'm, I'm joking. No, hey, it's relevant look, this I, week. I'm just saying in the long run, yeah. no one remembers no, of course. the round two of XG. Course. Yeah. Yeah. What? I wouldn't say though, like to be honest, I think they had a, like a good fifteen minute period at the start of the second half, Melbourne City, where they, which you'd expect that you know they were two 0 down, so you, they come out in the second half and and kind of try and take the game to Adelaide and you know get back into it. Um, but really, I mean, I mean the penalty was was the 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 change the the game changing moment because if it goes in, even even Carl Viet said if that goes in, it is a different game. He did say that uh, afterwards, and, and, and yeah, and so. Yeah. Just quickly, it's, and I mentioned that yesterday, that the worst thing you can do to a side that's playing all these under 23 kids is that on top of the game is give them yeah. momentum. Yeah. And when you, when that happens, you just invite it on and it's like an avalanche after a while. I mentioned it last week as well, how it's palpable. You know, you can feel it in the stands that, you know, these kids are about to just completely steamroll this side. And, you know, it's hard to stop, especially with a new look city side that may not be as familiar with each other when a bit of blaming and finger pointing um, starts creeping in. Uh, it's all downhill from there, and that's what we saw. Cody, I'm going to go to you. What uh, what are you identifying as the uh, as the issues at the moment at Melbourne City? It's it's hard to put, say pinpointed in a way because you know you said there's a whole lot of different things that you said in there, and I think the biggest thing that you could take out of that, let's just say the penalty goes in, let's just say City get another chance to score. It wasn't overall more even game until Adelaide started getting their third and fourth and fifth. Uh, one moment can change it. And Antonis said, you know, you give this Adelaide side momentum, they're obviously going to steamroll aside. Well, if you give the opposition momentum against the young side, who knows where Melbourne City can take that game as well. You know, either side of the coin is true. And I think one thing that we do fall into a trap, and it happens a, cr- a lot across Australian football and Australian sport, is a sense of sensationalism. And so I said it before, City probably do end up making finals. It's they they've got they've probably got the stronger side in the league on paper. Eventually they'll get there, whether it's without with or without Rado. You know that's for the City board of directors to to decide. The way that Kisnorbo is going in trial, clearly they're happy with a bit of consistency and giving some people chances. But that's a, another conversation in itself. And you mentioned Patrick Kisnorbo, he's still getting fucking roasted about his <laughs> about his twice, uh, tenure, even though we're talking about Rado Vidic. And you mentioned Rado getting a long contract before. Melbourne City has shown in the past they like continuity. Yeah. They want to keep. They want to keep. They want to retain players. They want to retain coaches as well. 
they would have given him that contract thinking, okay, yep, he'll come good. It'll be okay. Now they've got to ask themselves their own hard questions where it's like, okay, can, how long can this keep going for before we've got to take action? And, you know, if it's just a, a matter of the results, I'm not worried too much. A 6-0 loss isn't anything to brush off. It's obviously something that needs to be addressed, but it's something that needs to be addressed properly. And the way, obviously, you're in the um press conference after that game, Christian, when Rydell did make his comments about trying to balance everything, that's probably the part that irks me the most. I'm not buying into that. I think that's ridiculous. You, like I said before, you're managing the biggest club in Australia in terms of finances, um, recent success. You should be able to compete across all competitions quite well. I don't oh, see. I'm gonna add why... something to this in a second. Keep going. Yeah, oh, yeah. that's what I mean. Like hearing that, if I'm a City fan and I'm hearing my coach say, "Oh, you know, like we've just had this result, but how are we supposed to bounce back when we've got this game coming up, and then we've got to go overseas and play in Asia, and then we've got another game right after that?" If I'm a City fan, I'm pissed off. I'll be honest. You know, mm-hmm. you as a fan of that club, as a fan of a club with that kind of ambition. You want a coach that's then going to match that. You want a coach that's going to go, yeah, that's all right. We put it behind us. We go again. <clears throat> I was with John Aloisi on Saturday after the game when he lost 5-0. Similar sort of situation. And the first thing that he said was, you know, it's something we've got to put behind us. We've got a game coming up this weekend. We've got to just make sure we're prepared for that. He's got to go away again in seven days. Right or sitting there, he's got a home game next up against another side that's struggling. And he's already trying to ride himself off and make excuses. Mm. I think... Mm. It's not anything tactically or personnel-wise that I think the issue is with City. I think when you've got a coach with that mentality, and it's nothing personally against Ryder, because when I think of him, I think of his Melbourne City women's days where he didn't have the strongest side in the league, but there were times where he was able to make them look as such. Now he has a stronger side in the league, and it's almost like he can't match their level of intensity and ambition that they require from that side. You know, I don't think it's anything against Ryder as a coach. I still think he's a fabulous coach, but it's probably a matter of this isn't the right environment for him yeah. to succeed. And it's up to the city board to sit there and go, yep, that's the case. You know, maybe he's able to turn things around. We don't know. But if they, if this is something that's continuing on and he doesn't have the right mentality for a team with this ambition, the hard questions need to be asked. Well, I'm going to... I think there actually is a slight personnel issue because I think... Okay, so Arsenal's out and then... Terry Antonis comes in and you're trying to use Terry Antonis the same way as Tolgai Iceland. Like, it's it's never going to happen, you know? Like, so yesterday, and I'm going to get a little bit nerd nerdy here tactically, but, you know, they had Steven Yugarkovic as a, as a lone number six in possession. They had Terry Antonis higher as an eight with uh, with Hamza Saki. Um, and for Saki, obviously, that makes sense. But Terry Antonis is not that type of play. He can't play in between the lines. That was never going to work, right? And then... The other thing was, I couldn't believe, to be honest. We, we Look, we love Nestor Inkunda. He's absolutely brilliant. He's got an absolutely sensational free kick. We get it. Defensively, you, you can break down Adelaide United's press very easily on that right side because Nestor will not track the fullback. He just won't do it. It's as simple as that, right? He'll do it if he's nearby. But if Aziz Beich just kept on getting high in that game and they decide to use the left-hand side a bit more... They would have had a lot more success, particularly with Marin uh, Giacolis in the first half. It's a few times where they were 2v1 with Madana, um, but they just didn't, for whatever reason, they just stopped doing that. And they they were very conservative when they when they built up. Um, and it has to be said that Stephen Yugarkovic as a six is not the same as Aiden O'Neill as a six. It just isn't. He's not the same player on the ball. And I don't think he can provide the same sort of defensive cover as a lone player in that sort of area at the pitch. Um, and 
for me, it was just kind of bizarre as well. I mean, Callum Talbot is another one where, you know, you've got a player who has the capability to overlap, underlap, and get forward in the final third, and he's playing, he's telling him to move inside and form a back three in possession. Like, I don't, personally, I don't get that, you know? So maybe this is Rado trying to understand his squad a little bit, and he's going to need four or five games to understand the different roles and who can play what role, and then maybe from there we'll see it. But I don't know, like, I just, there, there were a couple of decisions yesterday from particularly in possession that City made, which I just felt were, were not, uh, were not suitable at all to, to the personnel that was out there. And I think the other thing I think that we're circling out here is, is Rado Vidicic the type of character who can handle a squad with this many, you know, big personalities and, and players who, you know, you look at their recruitment as well. Guys like Yugarkovic, Jamie Young, and obviously the foreign players they've brought in. Like, these guys are coming in to win. They're not coming in to, you know, have a transitional season, right? So, I, I, I'll pose that question to you guys. Is Rado Vidicic the guy who can really, can he handle these types of personalities? Is, has he had the experience as a, as a number one in, in, in the coaching um, gig to, to actually to do that? Well, you, like I said, I tracked back to his time with Melbourne City Women's. As much as, yeah, may not have been that upper echelon in terms of individual players, there were still players that, you know, maybe did have those kinds of personalities where they wanted to win. You know, you're talking about the likes of Emma Checker, Rihanna Policina, Holly McNamara. They're not scrubs by any means. They're players that go in and go, we need success. We demand success. And he turned them into a side that was able to chase that. I think it may be different now where, you know, from that side, he kind of helped build it from a poor season to be able to um, chase that sort of success. Now he's coming into a side that kind of expects it. Maybe there is a difference in that regard, but I don't know. I still, real, realistically, he should be able to handle it. You're not talking about a young coach either. You're talking about a coach that's really been around the blocks and should know how to be a good man manager. Yeah. In that regard, I think that's a little bit of a disappointment on his part. But um, yeah, look, that could very well be the issue. But if it is, that's that's more disappointing on him, really. Yeah, I mean. I mean, if, if Melbourne City pull the trigger here after, you know, three games, like let's say they lose to, to Sydney this week and they just go, oh, no, you know, it's just not working. I mean, that would be very, I mean, Cody's right. That would be very un-City-like to do that, you know, like that they have given him that time to, you know, with, with the contract. So I'll give be... him to halfway through the season, I think. Yeah, Once yeah. he hits round 10, round 11, At least, if they're yeah, still in this rut, think. then they will most I likely also... take action. I also think they're not going to make a move unless they've got someone lined up. Mm. You know, it does. I don't feel like they're the type of operators who just make a move and leave a team that invested a lot in in limbo for a while. If they do eventually move on Rado, which I doubt they will, honestly, I think they'll have someone ready to install right away. But no, I fully expect Rado to continue, especially like I said, half of the season. And I do expect results start picking up, and not just because of the coaching, but just because of the sheer talent of this team. And in a competition where, you know, a lot of these teams are close, when you've got the talented players, more times than not, you know, they're going to provide for you. And how many weeks are we going to go without Jamie McLaren scoring? Like, honestly. Yeah. yeah. Like, yeah, like that. And you talk about the talent. You look at how they're going in the Asian Champions League. They've beaten a Buriram side who go on a title and historically we don't technically do overly well. You look at how City played against, um, I think it was BJ Patham when they went over to Thailand last time. 
playing two games with them, drawing it. Now you go on there, you're winning games against a side that is well drilled. We know what other Pappas is like when he's at his best, of course, not at his worst can be a little bit different. And then going to uh, China, winning a game over there as well. They're not easy trips to make. And he's still getting results because he's got a quality side at his helm. And that's what I mean. The point that you made about, you know, still trying to figure out his squad, that he should have enough time to figure out his squad by now. He had four cup games. But maybe games. not, because two... they, have, they have the recruitment. I mean, they've, they have brought in quite yeah, a few Yeah, but in that time, you've played four cup games. You've played the Champions League. You've played two league games. You're talking eight, almost 10 games there that you've had to work no, out your I squad. Don't think, I don't think it's that easy. I don't think you just work out your squad after 10 games. I think Yeah, but you should have a better idea than what a lot of other clubs do at this stage of the season as well, when you've had that many games under your belt. Maybe not compared to Adelaide, that's for sure. I mean, Adelaide... Adelaide played three games. Hang on, hang on. That's that's a team which has been together for okay, like... Okay, yeah, that's a different yeah. story. But you're also talking a team that should, on paper, shouldn't be touching Melbourne City either. Yeah, it's Adelaide's... It, again, in a league of constant change, it's actually very underrated what keeping a group together... Which is the point do. I made in, in yeah. my article that I wrote, yeah. yeah. And... <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> no, no, I'm just saying. I'm just, I'm just you know, pointing that out. Yeah, no. Um, and what I'm getting to you is when, when you lose someone like a Craig Goodwin, again, maybe fans can dread it, but for a team full of like 18, 17, 19, 20 year olds, it's not dreaded. This is my chance. And you get even hungrier to perform. And the team that's been together for a bit, and especially these young boys playing NPL together for two, three years, you know, it makes a difference. Look, Adelaide, I don't think is the best comparison point there because they've done well consistent. They've done well to stay consistent over the last few years. And those players coming in, it's like, yeah, I'm just going to go ball with my bros, basically. The best point of um, reference for City would be Crosstown, Melbourne Victory, where they've gone through a fair bit of change in their off season as well. They've brought in a whole lot of new players and they haven't had the Australia Cup to really get things going together. They haven't had a Champions League to get things going. Well, I think working. this comes down to playing style too. So, like, what I'm getting at now is. Rado Vidicic is trying to continue a playing style, which is, you know, it's an attacking brand, possession-based. It's pressing. We didn't see that yesterday, but that's based on what we have seen. That's what he will try and do. Whereas Tony Popovich teams are, you know, much more transitional, much more sit-back and wait. And that's a lot easier and quicker to get across than than a possession-based style. So now, although you could say, well, there's plenty of players in that City squad who played under Patrick Snorbo, and that was a similar identity, there has been a lot of change in this team, like a lot. Like, you know. Yeah, but you've had the time. You're talking also, I understand it's an easier system to implement, but you're talking eight games to implement it compared to one or two. And Popovich has still got these guys working straight away. And on paper, the quality is a fair bit different as well. So I, I don't, don't think eight know games if that's is an anything excuse. either. I think you're overestimate. like, I think you're over evaluating how much eight games actually is for a coach. I don't think it's much at all, honestly. It's certainly a lot better than one or two. No, no, no. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I agree. I just, I think. Let's see. Let's see. Look, I think. I think yeah, the caveat um, to all we're this. We're actually is, we're forgetting, like, obviously yeah. the friendlies being played as well. We might not see them, but they happen. And yeah. then the conversation actually strays to how good is a coach at figuring out his team and what his team can do for him. And that's the other argument that you can make here. How. How good are you at that side of the game? Do you have a brand new team? Because don't forget, Popovich, especially in West Sydney, had a habit of going through teams like it was nothing. It felt like every year we had a new look Wanderers team. So Popovich has done that for a while. And rather, we've seen him a lot as an assistant, but not as the main guy doing that. 
Yeah. It's uh, interesting. I think the caveat to all of this is maybe let's come back to this, you know, by match day kind of 13 and see, see where we're at there, really. Um, but it doesn't change the fact that Rado Vizic is under, is under a lot of pressure. Uh, anything, Jake, you wanted to add on this? No, I, I think it was all like, for example, I, I didn't see Rado, you know, un, you know, coaching the city women. So I, I can't talk about so that past track record. We don't really know exactly what's to come. You know, I think, you know, with other coaches like Popper, we sort of see this track record. We sort of see this, you're like, okay, this is what happens with a Popper team. Whereas I guess we just don't know sort of what to expect from Rado. You know, is he going to be able to figure it out? Is this going to continue? I think it's ultimately we just got to see. And I think like has been talked upon, I think City is far too sensible to just sack him yeah. prematurely. They're going to wait. They're going to give him time at least half the season. And you know, potentially by that time, bring him up again. Patrick Nisnorbo might be out of his job and, you know, bang, straight swaps back in. You know, someone that already knows the squad. So yeah, that'll be, that'll be interesting. Uh, I, I I feel like that could happen. Not gonna lie, I, I, it it just makes too much sense. But but I I think it'll be yeah it'll be interesting to see. Like again, there's just too much quality in this team for them to miss out on finals surely. But at the same time, yeah, sort of the performances they've been putting out, you never know. Like like the A League is just truly just you just don't know what's gonna happen. Simple mm-hmm. as that. Uh, all right, that's enough on Rhino and Melbourne City. I think uh, between us talking about it for 25 minutes and probably a lot of other podcasts talking about it as well, I think uh, everyone's going to be is going to be uh, suffering from Rhino fatigue. So, uh, Mariners, let's talk about them. That's who I've uh, selected here as our, as our second topic because we're yeah we're basically just changing to the to the other grand finals from last year and of course the champions. Um, Jake, you mentioned them in your three points. So I want you to start. What's are you because Harry Bailey, who's one of our writers, actually did a really interesting piece, I thought, on Mark Jackson and his coaching background and what basically Mariners fans can expect. Uh, that came out last Friday. Um, and there's a lot of interesting stuff you can see in there to, to find out more. But are you concerned about, I, I guess the big question I think here going into when Monty left was, okay, does this mean, you know, this Mariners run essentially is over and they're just going to go back to being the Mariners? Now, I think that's way too premature a conclusion to make. But what are what are you seeing? Yeah, well, from what I know, um, Mark Jackson, I think implemented more of a three at the back sort of system. I think it was like a yeah. three or three or something like that. And um, MK Dons, yeah, yeah. So, so obviously, we've seen him essentially try to continue what Monty's done. He's still implementing that four four two, very, very, very similar in the way they play. But yeah, I, I guess at the end of the day, he just isn't Monty. I guess you know the players aren't as familiar with him. Obviously, we've seen quite a lot of new faces coming to see him. Will Wilson, for example, Angel Torres. Like we have a lot of sort of it's it's a it's very similar. It's almost eerily similar, but it's just not clicking. You know, sort of like it was. Um, I wouldn't stress too much yet. Like again, like he's he's someone that hasn't had a lot of time this team, and they have shown signs, especially. Of, it is always hard to talk about the AFC Cup as you know all of these teams are you know just simply just cannot compete with A-League teams. You know, we've seen them, you know, beat teams nine or 10. Um, but yeah, I guess, you know, in the, in the A-League, yeah, we maybe haven't seen that as much yet. Like that was a, it was a very disappointing game against MacArthur, to be fair. Like, you know, they had more of the ball, but just, just could not really create. And I think it's, it's, it's something that's almost like out of, you know, like I'm not used to seeing a Mariners team not be able to get those goals and create chances. So I think, I, I, I wouldn't you know, sort of throw in a red flag and really concerned, but mm. I think one thing I'll be interested to see though is does he sort of switch back to that more familiar system? Does he go to that three of the back yeah. system? Looking at their 
at their uh, squad at the moment. I feel like, yeah, like a lot of those players, you know, for example, um, Jacob Farrell, I feel like he'd be a perfect left side center back, for example. But yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd love to see. Could you play? Yeah, because now, I look, I think that's dangerous because that's, I don't, Personally, I'm not a fan of coaches who, okay, we lost two games. Let's just throw that thing in the bin. Oh, no, no, no. I, just... I, 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 I don't mean right now. I just yeah, mean yeah, yeah, yeah. if they're struggling. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I get what you mean. Maybe it's like, hey, okay, we need to change something immediately and, and it's just not working sort of thing. I mean, if you did that, that's I agree with you. Jacob Farrell would be a superb left-sided centre-back. That, that's a perfect role for him. Uh, how would you do it? Like a 3 4 one two or two one? How how would yeah, you? No, how well, would you... Well, yeah yeah yeah. From what I'm familiar with, three yeah. four three is sort of what he played. I yeah. Feel like that, for example, someone like Mikel Docker, he seems to be maybe not the best defender, but going forward he looks very good. Yeah, so he's like a wing back. Yeah. On that wing back, Noah Smith, someone that's you know shown to be pretty good going forward too. I feel like they've got the assets for that. Even Brian Kaltak, I feel like he'd be so good as that right centre back as, as well. a right sided centre back. Yeah. And, and, you and got then Nathan maybe Nathan Paul, Nathan Paul in the middle, just the big beast in the like. I I I, I feel like. Well, Jake, can I, I'm gonna ask you about Nathan Paul because. Yes. You, you're really high on this kid. Yeah, um, yeah. You love him, but I don't know. I think he's he's going to need a, like quite a few more games. I feel a few more reps to kind of get up to speed. It feels. Oh, well, I, I would I would argue the same happened with Triantis last season. I, I I thought at first he took a little like he looked very promising, but it took some time to I guess maybe come to sort of the groups of the professional game. You know, the A League level. Um, I, I think yeah, Hall for, uh, Paul, sorry, uh, for example, has you know, sort of maybe some of those teething issues, but I, I think there's a real player in there. But uh, obviously, I, I I only watched him in the AFC Cup and the in the FFA Cup, and he's just he just gave me a lot of Triantis vibes, and I, I just I, I like what I see there. But you know, but maybe in the meantime, I think we saw a similar thing where Triantis was briefly dropped, and we saw, for example, Dan Hall brought in. So yeah. maybe some of that. But I think by the end of the season, there could be a real player there. Yeah. Well, and then. Angel Torres, I mean, that's interesting. If, if let's just say, and and we're not going to harp on this too much, but this three four three idea. If Angel Torres for me was playing higher up the pitch as like an inside right mm. kind of forward, I mean, that's that is very appetizing. I have to say, um, because that guy, look, he's going to score goals, and he'll get like it's it's coming. Don't worry, he's such a threat. It's, seriously, um, he's just been fantastic to watch. There is there's a couple of differences with the Mariners this year. So Theoharis, who I think we all rate very highly. What I would say, though, is by having a left footer on the left side and a left footer on the right side, basically two left footers, is Theoharis is always going to go on the outside and Torres is always going to come inside. Last year, when they had Silvera and Incololo, you had two inverted wings. So they're both going to come inside when they get the ball. And it just kind of... So they're just going to have to adapt a little bit, I think, with Theoharis because... His game is very much like, I'm going to take you on the outside. You know, he's, he's never really going to use his right foot. So I noticed that against MacArthur, which was interesting. The other thing as well is with Tulio and Cummings last year, and I mentioned this quite a few times on the pod, where you basically had two number 10s in possession. Like, that's how deep these guys were dropping. Now, Tulio's still doing that, but Alu Kowal, because of his skill set, and Jackson would have realized this, he's having to stay on the last defender and essentially, you know, feed for scraps in behind and try and, you know, make little runs in behind and, and, and use his pace. So I don't know. It's probably just a case of them having to adapt with a couple of different personnel in there and having to adapt to finding or playing to those roles. But I mean, outside of that, you know, Noah Smith can certainly do a job there at left back. That's not a problem. Caltech still looked okay. Uh, like last year, um, you've still got, uh, obviously Josh Nisbet's looked fine. And like we said, Torres looks like a great signing. So nothing to be panicked about yet. I think 
it's a, it, honestly it's a kind of similar not not to the same extent I don't think as Rado, but it's similar where you know he's coming into a team that's been successful, but it's also going through some change. So again, for me, the answer with this is always time. Antonis, what do you think? Yeah, it's look. We've had some truly awful championship winners trying to defend their titles in the past. We'd know over here in Adelaide, Christian, <laughs> but I they don't cut me as a team that's just going to fall apart. Personally, I've seen enough from both sides of the pitch, to be honest, to be cautiously optimistic. I know it's not quite clicking for them in the final third, but you can see there's some promise there, and I agree about. The personnel, you know, someone like Cummings is just mm. so much more than a goal scorer and you don't fully appreciate until he's no longer there. And you've got an Alukwal who's a fantastic goal scorer, but he's not the all-around player that Jason Cummings is. Mm. And is that a bad thing? No. Other people will have to pick up that responsibility. But again, it's like you say, it's a period where they're figuring each other out how this team wants to play it how their coach wants them to play. Because unlike Melbourne City, they've got a new coach who is playing different than their old coach, let's face it, you know? So, again, I reckon they'll be all right, but it's going to take them a bit of time to get it together. I don't I know. Do. I, look, I don't know if they're necessarily playing different. I think what it is is that he's not as familiar with the squad yet. So, it just maybe seems like he's still going to work a few things out. I think... You know, the other thing as well, though, with no Cummings, and I've seen plenty of this already flying around, you know, oh my God, you know, Cummings, you know, how good was he basically? Now people are really starting to realize. But, you know, Tulio performed a similar role and he was superb last year. It's just that now you've only got one player who can perform maybe that role as opposed to two. So you've got to, you've just got to adapt. So, I mean, what's, what's, what's difficult is you've got to adapt whilst having that target on your back. So, you know, it's not, you know, as much as as much as the Mariners might say, you know, Mariners fans might say, oh, you know, we weren't expected to win the championship last year and it was a dream run sort of thing. At the end of the day, you are still the reigning champions and you still want to at least be a finals team, the absolute least this year. So there is still that sort of that sort of pressure. And also, you know, as Jay mentioned, and we just touched on with someone like Nathan Paul, like you kind of with players like that. And even Harry still Harry still is someone who I think still needs to kind of establish himself a little bit more as a midfielder. And those guys just alone, and even Noah Smith who's been bouncing around at different clubs, there's three guys there who still need time to maybe really establish themselves as, you know, A-League regulars. So there's there's that kind of time factor which you need as well. The other thing I would say, you mentioned Will Wilson, who looked okay, I thought, in Adelaide, but there is a significant issue, I think, and I think if my advice to Mark Jackson would be to not play him on the left, um, because I don't know, Jake's nodding his head. Do you, you, you agree with that? Because for me, I'd have Will Wilson as either maybe in that Tulio role coming off the bench if you want to relieve those minutes, or if you really feel he can do a job in in either the Steel or the Nisbet roles and see, you know, basically get him on the ball, and if he learns the the side of the game off the ball and the pressing side, then he can perform that role too. Yeah, he, for me, his profile, you know, watching him at victory, even, you know, at times of the, so the youth side, like, he's a box-to-box midfielder. Like, like, yeah. like he's a hard-working, you know, you know, passionate. Yeah, you know, he, he has, he has you know, no doubt that, you know, no denying he has a lot of technical ability too, but he's not a, you know, direct winger, you know, to run at your player. Like, I think we've seen it, 
yeah. time and time again where I almost feel bad for him because he's he's trying to play that wing role, but it just, he just yeah. Those, those, yeah. I can't I can't remember. There was it was in the first half against Adelaide. Actually, it was the first chance of the game, if I remember. Uh, Will Wilson had Will Wilson had the be- uh, the first chance of the game, Antonio. If I'm not mistaken, in Adelaide, uh, it was it. Remember, Tilia had that back heel, and they kind of worked it from right to left, and the ball came across, and he just never felt like he was going to score because he's just not really, you know, he's a creator. You can feel it. He's not really a finisher. You know what I mean? So, and then. Great point you make because Will Wilson 1v1, I just don't think that's really his game either. You know, I just talked before, for example, about Terry Antonis and how his game is not to receive between the lines. Will Wilson's game is. So, you know, that's where, again, comes back to how quickly can Mark Jackson find the suitable roles for all of his players and find the system which suits best. I don't think the system is necessarily the problem. I think they've just got a few players who need to understand each other probably more on the pitch in terms of relationships and then maybe come round six or so we'll start to see a team which looks a bit more like what we saw last year. Cody, what do you think of the Mariners at the moment? I think it's just teething issues really. You're talking about and obviously we had the conversation all right or so I'll compare it to that. When we talk about him, it's still his side. It's the side that he's built. He's had time to work with him as much as Mariners have kind of gone through that process as well. Playing in a- playing in Asia, one, obviously the quality of teams they're playing against isn't as good, so it's not those high quality games that Melbourne City have gotten recently, but also the wet, the moment, um, not the moment, the timing that Mark Jackson came into the side. Obviously, the side had already kind of been built. It was more a Nick Montgomery team. He's not just trying to get familiar with his own players. Well, you know, sorry, to, get- to cut you off for a second. People forget Nick Montgomery actually took charge of that Australia Cup game, even against Sydney. Like that's how late. Yeah, exactly. That's left. what I mean. Yeah. Like this is a, all by all accounts, look like Nick Montgomery was going to lead him into this season again. Yeah. It was a late opportunity and one that you obviously can't turn down that kind of threw things out the window a little bit for him. But it's not just about him trying to work out his own place. He's come to a new country. He's come to a new league. He's got to get familiar with everything. And this is a manager that's still very early in his career as well. He's only had one senior job before. Yep. And you can tell Mariners have brought him in not as a guy that he's going to come in, he's going to be really successful straight away, but as a guy that has a history with developing talent and they're trying to continue that way of thinking. So as long as those fundamentals are staying, I don't think Mariners fans or people at the club at the Mariners are going to be overly worried. The only difference that I say with City as well is on paper, this side probably doesn't have the quality to, if things aren't clicking, still be very, very successful. Yeah. I think they didn't. Nick Montgomery was obviously a fantastic manager. They needed that to be able to be at the top two, be able to finish in the top two, to win the grand final. You know, Mark Jackson maybe doesn't have the same skill set as a manager yet. Maybe he could develop that in the future. He's still got plenty of time in his own career. But, you know, you look at maybe this season for the Mariners, it probably isn't going to be at the heights that they saw last year. They may even miss out on finals. I think there is, that is a realistic possibility. But I don't think it's going to be a thing of, yep, they're going to go and plumber back to the dark days that they had. Yeah, that, I think um, that's what... Six yeah, years ago. I think yeah. it'll be a thing of they'll have some teething issues, but once they get things kind of ready again. I think they'll finish the season strong, maybe they'll push for 6th, 5th later on the season. They could still finish top 4 if they get things clicking earlier, but it'll be a thing of they'll get through this season, they'll make sure the talent and the foundations are built for next season and the one after that, and that's where we'll probably see Mark Jackson at his best and if we don't see that, that's when you probably start having the conversation around him individually I guess. Yeah, well... Just quickly with that too, it's not just about the skill side as a coach, we have to remember that Nick Montgomery was basically the perfect person for that job having worked in that region for so many years as a player and as a coach as well and in that 
youth system. And that stuff, Jackson obviously doesn't have available being new to the country. He doesn't fully know that landscape yet that but he doesn't know but he doesn't know the landscape but he knows how to develop talent so that's where absolutely but again there's just a lot of stuff that gets lost in translation if you must you know coming into a whole new system so again i once again i'm not worried about them i think cody's probably about right they're going to be in that hunt for finals and you know we've seen the a-league in the last couple of weeks of the season, the men's competition, it becomes kind of like a two-week season that there's about three to six points separating if you make finals to if you miss out on finals. So, again, it's going to come down to the end of that season. They're not going to be a top three side like for last year, but they're going to be in pack that's hunting for those spots. So, yeah, we'll see how they go. Yeah, I think another point here as well, I mean, it's easy to look at Mark Jackson's CV, his last job, MK Dons, uh, was, was a disaster results wise um so it's easy to look at that and think well i mean jesus this guy couldn't do it in the third division yeah but mk so. don't have bigger issues then no no no, no. So, and cody cody we're we're agreeing here mate we're agreeing so my point is it's easy to look at it and go disaster in third tier of england oh my god you know as if he's going to be you know like monty sort of thing but i think what we need to realize is the mariners and i think there are some other clubs like this in the league but just generally in world football now you know Clubs are looking at personalities, I think, more so, and and traits of managers as opposed to, you know, results. And just, I'm just going to look at your CV and hire you based on that. So, I mean, and you look as well. So, I mean, this is a guy who worked, you know, on a Premier League coaching staff, you know, was, was helped out with with leads and keeping them up in the Premier League under under Jesse Marsh. Um, so, make of that what you will. Um, but also... You know, they brought in an analyst who worked with Marcelo Bielsa. Mark Jackson, no doubt, would have had some interaction with Marcelo Bielsa. And also, as Harry pointed out in that article on, on our website, you know, a lot of young, talented players, particularly who came through at Leeds, worked with Mark Jackson. So there's a track record with that. And I think the Mariners look at their model and they think, well, we need someone who fits into this, not who fits into, is he just going to get, you know, the results? Because that's not really what we are, if that makes sense i guess but uh cody anything you want to just quickly add and then uh we'll, we'll go to a break no i think that's basically spot on like i said it's a, it's a teething it's thing spot on take... holy shit hey i didn't come here to argue christian i came here to just talk <laughs> I, I know you're i know you're desperate for it i know you've got your i'm not desperate for me. anything man you're the one who's. <laughs> i know you've got your knives out for me you want to cut me off and have a go at me about my mk don's comment like i said there's bigger issues than who was coaching and there's a reason why they went down. There's a reason why they'll probably keep going down. But you talk about personality as well. That's probably the reason why it didn't work out in his last job as well. MK Dons are trying to be something that they're not, unfortunately. But Sorry? Fucking poor, poor MK Dons fans listening to this podcast. Jesus. Look, I don't think there's many fans of MK Dons to be listening to this Come podcast. On. Oh, man. Wait, were you still going? Oh, no, I was just saying, I don't think there's that many MK Dons yeah. fans that they're actually going to go out and listen to a podcast about their ex-manager. True. Would you be Would you be conflicted if you're like a Mariners fan and an MK Dons fan? Do MK Dons fans exist in Australia? I don't think half the country knew who they even are. Like, they're, just, they're, they're a pretty irrelevant club in England, let alone out here, to be fair. So another reason why you shouldn't really judge him based on how he was in this last job. Yeah. Absolutely. All right. We're going to take a quick break. And on the other side, we're going to have another team to discuss. Or actually, 
No, we're not going to discuss a team. We're going to discuss a topic instead. You guys don't even know yet. So I've, I've got something in mind. Let me just put it that way. All right. Um, and then we're going to get into our big questions for round three. Okay, so let's move to our third topic then. Um, and we're not going to focus on a team or a coach this time. We're going to focus on, I guess, a trend um, that we've seen in these opening two rounds. So this is per Aussie Scout. Um, and this was earlier today. And he says the 17 under 23 Australian players have made their professional league debuts in round one or two this season. And in all of last season, only 24 actually made their professional debuts. So basically, we're on track to beat that for sure. Um and we're seeing, of course, you know, we could go on about Adelaide and, and what we saw yesterday for sure. Um, but even outside of that, you know, we're seeing contributions elsewhere from a host of young players. Look at someone like Alex Polson at, at Wellington, for example. Um, we saw Lucky Brook, of course, and, and Milanovic as well with the Wanderers, um, you know. And it just seems like every week we've got either a new youngster starting or a new youngster scoring or assisting or doing something. Now, I want to, it was interesting because after the game yesterday, Carl Viet was actually asked in the press conference whether this was basically the way to save the league, essentially, about playing, you know, young players, um, and giving young players opportunities. And he, he kind of just reverted to, you know, it's, it's our model and whatever other clubs want to do is what they want to do, as you would expect, diplomatic answer. Um, but I mean, how entertaining has the football been? And maybe it's because we've got young guys who have this lease of life and they're just going to take the game on. Like, you know, Antonis, you're nodding your head in agreement, which I'm not surprised about. You take it from here. Look, a couple of years ago, when the league paused because of COVID, suddenly we had such an exciting month of football. Mm. And it's because clubs were forced into a corner and basically had to play these players and that filtered through to the year after before that kind of I guess corrected itself and we started getting these league uh, these teammates back up but you see and that's why in our grand final podcast with Matt Christian if you remember I said that if Mariners win this championship it's more consequential than any and I use Sydney FC as an example than any yeah. Sydney FC championship because number one I love East Mariners this players will be watching for years represent Australia if for the Socceroos or even abroad and also will inspire other clubs to actually look, oh, this is actually a good concept because a lot of these players have been in our books in the past and we're seeing this happen. This is the way forward and I keep going back to it. I'm going to go back to it again because this is the reality. Food Chain, where are you? You're Australia. You're at the bottom. Act accordingly. That is now the tenth time on an FPF podcast that Antonis has used the term food chain. Good, and it's actually the second time today I've used this in the conversation about Australian football. <laughs> well, we, we, we're you talking to one of your students about Australian football and use the term <laughs> food chain. <laughs> but stay tuned on front page football for that. But despite the point, it's the reality of it. You know, this is where you're at. We are a developmental league, and there's nothing wrong with it you know you have to accept if anything this it. weekend taught us there's a lot of things right with it did it not but i love it it's great yeah. it's fantastic how good is it that you can give this platform to these players wish them well and then support them to the outside of the world and then if something happens and they decide to come back they can come back to you even better players after you know your club can get money for it and keep reinvesting in the next generation 
and you know build a good squad. You know, it's fantastic. I love. I personally love it. You know what I like? You know, Newcastle is a good example. Okay, bad result yesterday. You know, yes, you know they kind of got back into it, and maybe you know they made it look better than what it was. You know, not the most ideal start to the season, ownership problem, whatever. But now, if you're a Newcastle fan, you can go, hey. I'm turning on the TV this week because I want to watch Clayton Taylor or I want to watch Lucky Bayless or I want to watch um, uh, Costa Grosos. You know, like that's for me, that is priceless because we don't have we don't have the relegation factor, right? So we don't have the I have to watch my team because we've got to stay up. So now it could be, let's say Newcastle season peters out, uh, just as an example, and come, you know, round 18, it looks like, you know, it's over and they're not going to make finals. Well, maybe there's still reason for me to watch because I can see what other young NPL talents that have come into this squad that are going to, you know, be be quality for us down the line, or potentially we could use as exports to make money, like the Mariners model or mm-hmm. you know, Adelaide model or whatever. So that for me was a really interesting. Just just focusing on that team in particular right now and all those fans, what they're going through at the moment. Well, listen, you've still got a couple of players in that team because Robbie Stanton is a bit more youth focused. You still got those couple of players there that are actually giving you something to kind of cling on to. And I always go back to this example being from Adelaide. The year after the twenty the championship in South Australia, team completely falls apart after the signings don't work out. The one silver lining from that season that the club still benefits from financially is Riley McGree gets his debut. You know? And the club is still benefiting from that trans, multiple transfer fees it got from Agree. You know, it's it's fantastic to see. You know, that's where the players come from. It's an opportunity that you, they don't always receive. And in Australia, with only a limited amount of professional clubs, unfortunately, too many slip through the cracks. And it's fantastic when you see some make it through because it opens doors for everyone involved. I wonder as well if this season... You know, again, it's only been two rounds, but we're going to find that, you know, we've actually got maybe more talent than what we initially, that we even think. Like, we're all, you know, we're all, yeah, like we're all relatively high on Aussie talent. We think that there are a lot of hidden gems everywhere. Then you've got like Nestor and Kunda, who's like, God knows how he fell in our lap. But, you know, I think maybe we're going to see, you know, like, look at, so Sydney FC is an interesting example because although, they're starting 11. Let's say if we go on Friday, I might not suggest it because really only Jake Girdwood Reich is kind of the only younger player who's in there. I guess Jordan, Jordan Courtney, Courtney Perkins, if you wanted to go there, although that's a guy who's a bit more maybe established. But their bench is actually full of a whole bunch of youngsters because, and in credit to Sydney FC, and I know we've been critical of them in the past about this, they're maybe definitely taking a little bit more of a youth focus in what they're trying to do. But now, like, for example, Steve Corrigan's got a decision to make come this game against Melbourne City. Now, personally, I don't see him doing it, but he might go, actually, you know what? I'm going to mix things up and give Jaden Kucharski a run or give Patrick Wood a run, you know? And I think that's something we wouldn't have seen in years gone by. And more to the point, you know, Antonis is kind of talking about players slipping through the cracks. If you look at someone like, let's say, Kucharski as an example, let's say in recent years, he's just a bench player at, at a Sydney FC makes, you know, six appearances on the bench. Apart from that, he's just not in the, in the squad, you know. Whereas now, since he's maybe one of those first options off the bench or second option, third options off the bench, he's actually much more viable to start a game. And if he does and he scores, okay, now Sydney FC have found that they've actually got a young talent. 
that they can produce and, and mold. So, you know, and even if you look at that game, like, you know, Brisbane as well, like, obviously, we, we all love Waddingham here as a striker, but, I mean, McNichol and even Ryland Brownlee, by the way, like, looks decent as well, coming off the bench, I thought, on Friday for Brisbane too. So, it just seems like everywhere you go at the moment, in, in any of these teams, you can kind of find one or two players, Daniel Benny at Perth, for example, um, and you can see that there's actually one or two who, you know, could become the next, you know, like Triantis examples where they get snapped up or, you know, and and clubs can export. Um, Jake, let's, because you are very focused on this kind of aspect because you, you're very across the kind of young talents that we've got coming through. Um, do you, are you in total agreement that, you know, basically every club should be doing this or is there more, you know, because the argument always against this, I think is, is your, uh, Melbourne city, Sydney FC, Melbourne victory is, well, no, we need to win trophies. We need to keep our fans coming to the games. So we can't play young players because they can't be trusted to get results, which is ironic because the Mariners did that and they got results. So what, what's your take on that? Well, first, I want to sort of quickly go back to a point in terms of how exciting it is to watch. Like, a very interesting stat here from Andrew Howe, I think he put up a bit earlier today, where this was the most goals ever scored in a round by under-23 players mm-hmm. in A-League, the A-League era. It was 12 goals. The last closest was nine. I think that just shows sort of, you know, I think we are really seeing a change here, which is really exciting. And then to harp back on the other point, I think we've seen uh, City, for example, prove that wrong in terms of, they're able to have those established first-team players, your Leckies, your McLarens, etc., while also still easing through your Tom Glovers, your Jordan Bosses, your Marco Tilios, that became key figures into this uh, into this squad and developed them over time. Aiden O'Neill even too, you know, he, he's you know not old at all. You know, they've developed him from, you know, early 20s player into that mid-20s player, sent him over to Europe, and bang, you know, now he's in the soccer roots. Like, I think it's 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 very viable to do both at the same time. But I think, again, agreeing totally with Antonis, you know, we are Australia at this point. Or maybe eventually we would love to get to a point where we are going to be you know, a big boy in the, uh, in, the, in the football field and we're going to be able to attract all these players. But for now, I think we need to know our place and, yeah, look to develop a lot of these big talents. Like you said, there's plenty of players we haven't even discovered yet. Like like um, one that I think I definitely keep an eye on is uh, what's good. I've got his name now. Marcus Eunice. That's right. Marcus Eunice. He is such a huge talent and we've only seen one sub appearance for him so if we can start to see for example someone like him play or even some of the others Franco Lino for example we haven't seen yet but there's so there's so much talent that hasn't really been sort of discovered at that A-League level A-League level yet that every single club will have so I think it's just the will you know these clubs adopt this you know I, th- I think it's 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 almost inevitable um, that this is the the way forward and it's just almost like uh, when are these clubs going to fully adopt it and embrace it? You know, we've seen Adelaide do it. We've seen Central Coast do it. Who's next? You know what I mean? Yeah, well, just, just quickly, yeah, um, sorry, Christian. So quickly with that as well, when you talk about where we are in the world of football, the big dog in Asia, you know, Japan, who, again, it's night and day when you compare the open pyramid and how you can move up and down the amount of talent they produce. But even their league, you know, okay, they've got a lot of good players, but the players don't aim to stay in Japan. They aim to go overseas in most yeah, cases. And the other thing that, I'd say is how, how that's did the you... reality. That's yeah. the reality. There's no, no, there's no problem with it. You just have to yeah. keep producing because that's what that's how we're going to get strong soccerers. That's how we're going to get strong Matildas. It's a badge of honor that 
these clubs from Europe and overseas come knocking on your door and saying, we like this, can we, we want, we need this in our team. You know, we should embrace that. Yeah, and but the other thing is, I mean, we talk about like Japan, for example, and I know Antonis, you know, you talked to, you talked to Kano Football recently um, about who, who are kind of following, I guess, you know, a little bit of a, of a Japanese way of doing things um, with, with their clinic. And, you know, the other thing is like, if they got to the top of being the Asian powerhouse through their grassroots, like it's not, it wasn't because they, you know, like you can't, you can't bring in players and just hope it, you know, trickles down. It's never going to happen. So, there's that, but also, um, you know, I was just looking as Jacob was talking at all the benches this weekend, over the weekend, and really, probably Perth and Victory were the only two ones where there was only like a couple youngsters and it was mainly experienced options that they had kind of in reserve. Um, but going back to my Sydney point, for example, before, like, let's say Fabio Gomez goes down for a couple of weeks, you know, with some kind of minor calf injury or whatever it is, like, that means there's definitely two games there for you know, probably Patrick Wood, for example, right? And we know Patrick Wood has got something about him. We've seen it in the Australia Cup. So, you know, the thing is, we talk about the amount of opportunities we're seeing at the moment. Hopefully, and you don't wish injuries upon anyone, but there will be injuries, which means that really those opportunities should increase, you know, just by by, by just pure numbers. Now, that's still dependent on some clubs, let's say the injuries to foreigners going, no, we're not going to go and, if they're a long-term injury, go and sign some kind of injury replacement and actually trust what we've got. So it's still going to be a little bit of onto the clubs to make that decision. Um, but yeah, I just think it's really interesting. If you look at the depth a lot of teams have at the moment in the A-League, it's actually all very youthful depth. Now, I don't know whether that's because clubs just can't attract the same sort of players as they used to. Maybe that's one of the reasons, or maybe it's just, Clubs going, you know what? We're actually better off having a under twenty three player in reserve in this position because if he comes in for the experienced player that we have and he does well, well, then we might as well just keep playing him and and get something out of it. Mm-hmm. And just with that point as well, my only criticism of a club like Sydney, who is starting to, I guess, see the light, is probably should have been a bit more preactive earlier. You see United um, succeeding early days of the season. It's because these young players are entering the second and some stages third year of being in that environment, being trusted. Once you start doing that, that's when you really start seeing results. Not in the first time you play a kid and expecting the world. You need to be reasonable and you need to scaffold them up to that point where they can be regular contributors that make an effect on senior football. You can't just say, oh, yeah, we tried the young kids thing this year, didn't work, let's go back to the old tried and tested method. You have to have a method behind it. It's not an overnight thing. Yeah. Cody, I haven't heard from you yet uh, on on this. What what are your thoughts? I just want to track back on that Sydney FC point. And a lot of the times when you talk about youth development, there's got to be a club culture for it as well. You know, Adelaide, I do get the environment that I do get the sense that there is an environment over there where, you know, you you have if you have the option to have this big fancy big name player come in, or would you rather see a young player take that spot and do really really well? I get the feeling people in Adelaide get more excited by the young player option. Whereas if you look at a club like Sydney FC, the fan base does probably lean towards, you know, wanting those big name signings. I've we've spoken about what Sydney FC does represent. It is a bit more of a glitz and glamour club where they do invest heavily in their squad and the fans do to a certain extent demand 
success as well. So they're probably not going to be the type of club that's always going to go, yep, we're going to go and make sure that we're completely prioritizing your development. There's going to be other priorities there. I know you said before you can have both. Sometimes it's not always as easy as what it has. Like you said, it's a two or three year thing where you've got to give these players time. You've got to make sure they're getting um, enough opportunities in the first team so that when they are a starter in their side, they are actually ready for it. Sydney FC are in a situation, say, this season where, you know, players like Kuchowski, maybe not so much Wood, but Kuchowski, um, there's another player that's on the top of my head, you know, maybe like a Mitchell Glasson or something. Mitchell Glasson, yeah. Yeah, they haven't really been introduced to that in, um, to the yeah. side yet in that way. So they're not going to have that impact. And it's a matter of, okay, well, fans are going to watch it. They demand success. Look at how this season started. Fans are already frustrated. You know, you're seeing young players coming at the back and it's like, okay, we're leaking goals. Why didn't we bring in another Yeah, but I saw, back? like, for example, if you're talking about Sydney FC fans, for example, like, I saw a lot who were, like, furious that Steve Corrigan could just chucked them on when the game was over, for example, on Friday, right? So I think if you look at someone like, let's go to that, what I just said before about Fabio Gomez and Patrick Wood, you know, now Gomez, I don't think, is an awful striker and, and he could definitely be serviceable this year for, for Sydney. But if he honestly went out of the team, Patrick Wood came in and Patrick Wood started scoring goals, do we really think Sydney FC fans are going to go, oh, you know, what the hell? Why isn't the foreign no, that's, signing? That's not, that's not the point I'm trying to make, though. Yeah. What I'm saying is you look at their bench and it's a youthful bench and suddenly Sydney FC fans are sitting there saying, where's our depth? It's just a bunch of young kids. You know, this this isn't a club that should expect that. We need players that can go in and win games. Probably because they're not used to that policy, that that strategy, though. Yeah, but that's that's what I'm talking about. It's got to be a club culture as well, and not every club is going to suit that. Every club's got to find a way to kind of build themselves up in a way that suits both what they want to do and what fans expect from them. In Adelaide, it's a completely yeah. different culture. Fans want to see those young players grow. They want to see a guy that they'll stand but sitting with in the uh, stands. Yeah. Yeah, but I think I'm all fans want to see young players, don't they? To, to a certain extent, well. but I don't think they will. Uh, it's like Adelaide's almost built based around an under-23 side. Sydney FC fans, I, don't, yeah. I get the sense they don't want that extent. They still want a side that they can go and they have names that they can be excited about. That's what, that's my sense of them anyway. I could yeah. be very wrong, but that's the feeling I get from hearing their discussions online, seeing their discussions online. But like I said, it's one club's going to have one culture, one club's going to have a different culture. You can't put one roadmap and expect every club to follow suit and for it to work for every club as well because at the end of the day, it's not going to. Yeah, and just quickly with that, even in Adelaide, there is still pushback. There's a lot of pushback of, oh, you're just taking the cheap option, the NPL players, and okay. To be honest, I do think there was a little bit of that this offseason. Oh, yeah, yeah, cases it might be true, but there are other cases like, for example, that I can name three, four players that have been promoted that you're like, yeah. this kid absolutely deserves yeah. to be there. So it's not without the pushback. But for me, it's not just a club culture. It has to be a league culture that you go towards somewhere. Okay, you can make this fantastic team with all these senior players. Fantastic. You might win the league title. Fantastic. What do you get out of it in the Australian football landscape? You don't get much money. Do you even get money for winning the championship here? Uh, no. You? no like, I don't okay, so. you get a nice little shiny toiletry. Fantastic. Congratulations. What are you going to do next year? What are you going to do the year after? You know, you need to be, especially in our landscape, where it feels like everything's out to get you, you need to think a bit further than just the next three, four months and what that looks like for you. And for me, that's a competition-wide culture that I'm hoping changes with the recent success of the Mariners rather than just a club-to-club thing. And that's what I'm hoping 
that individual club cultures can change the bigger culture. It's a chicken or the egg argument, if you will. I think that's kind of my point, though. Like, not everyone's going to follow the same roadmap. I would like to see every club have some form of pathway to make sure that there are talented young players coming into the first team. And Sydney FC are probably doing it in a sense where, okay, they're probably going to be a bit part players to start with, and they've really got to earn their strikes. Whereas Adelaide, they're willing to give that trust a little bit more for them to come in and go, okay, yeah, we'll give you time to maybe let the performances dip, but eventually you are going to be one of the best players in this league. Whereas Sydney FC, you know, maybe we won't have that much patience, but as long as there is still that roadmap, you can still see that kind of trend filtering out to the rest of the league. Not every club is going to do it the same way. Um, You mentioned before, obviously, implementing that system, you're going to get transfer fees off it. It's the most, it makes the most sense economically, but no club is going to do it the same as the one next to it. I think that's something that I won't say we've got to wrap our heads around because we would like to see as many young players play as possible, but I think it's something that in a way we'd probably have to accept. And as long as there's to a certain extent that clubs are still trying to implement it and the league did, I think it was five years ago now where they said, okay, in the match day squad, you've got to have this number of young players. So at at a league level, we are trying to make sure that it does happen. We're not going to see the same blueprint copy and paste over every club. And as much as we like youth players, if we saw a copy and paste at every club, I think you guys could even admit it would get a bit boring eventually. But yeah, yeah. Everyone, no, I don't think. I don't think to a certain extent, though, you do want to see it. Yeah, yeah no, no, no. I don't, I don't think. Uh, I don't think it's a case of. Uh, listen, like you know, every club now you have to start five players in your starting eleven who are under twenty three right. every week and just just do that. Like you have to do it. No, no. I I think though, you know, you know, what? I I would want to see more of clubs making more strategic recruitment decisions focused mm-hmm. on youth. So I'm going to yeah. use an example, which I think Jake and Tonus, we were talking about this during the Wellington Perth yes. game. Uh, and this is actually a great example of Alex Paulson, Um and how we spoke about how they got Jack Duncan, for example, but they got Jack Duncan as almost like a backup for if Alex Paulson isn't what we think he can be. And now we're seeing, well, no, Alex Paulson is what we what they thought he could be, and we're all seeing it, and it looks like he's going to be a great young keeper this year, and potentially they're going to make some money off him down the line. So now they've got a solid backup with Jack Duncan and they've got a really good young keeper who, like I said, they're going to make money from down the line potentially. So it's a win-win all around. And Jack Duncan seems to be happy to accept that role clearly, um, for the moment anyway, as being the backup goalkeeper. So I don't know, Antonis, if you want to quickly elaborate on that, but that was yeah, a really yeah. interesting example of that's a good recruitment decision with youth in mind. So it's more about making decisions where are we thinking about, you know, is there a way that we can actually give minutes to a player who is ready, who is under 23? If there isn't, let's not force it because you Cody, you're right. Otherwise, then that's just stupid. You know, otherwise, mm-hmm. we're going to set up guys for failure. So, Antonis. Yeah. And again, Jack Duncan isn't there, I don't think, to accept the bench, but he feels against a young player, he can compete. And for Wellington, it's a fantastic move because it's exactly what you said. We've talked about it. For me, all that it's about, and like Cody said, not everyone's going to do it the same way, but I would like clubs to be a bit more in tune with themselves internally. Mm. You you are part of this club. You know who your next top prospects are. My thing is, do not block their path. That's all I'm asking for. Okay, You can get players that to support them. Do not block their path. If you feel they're ready, give them scope to actually be the player you believe them to be. Okay, and it's not something we always see, and I hope it changes in the future. Again, not everyone's always going to do it. Not every team's going to do it the same way because it's just not reasonable. But I would just like clubs to be a bit better with that, especially until we get 
at least a second division because we're just not at a stage to just let so many people fall through these gaps. In the future, when you've got another 12, 14, 16 professional teams, okay, we can afford to have them drop there and prove their point. But right now, it's just not ideal because especially somewhere like here in South Australia, there are so many players that are capable of playing professionally that are just not because there are just X amount of opportunities out there. Mm. Jake, anything you want to add on uh, this discussion before we get into our big questions? No, I think, again, great points made both sides. Um, yeah, I, I, I think it is very applicable and sort of context-based on sort of how this is going to be implemented from team to team. But yeah, at the end of the day, ultimately, yeah, it would be good to sort of see that sort of go in that direction. You know, I, I think, yeah, not necessarily, you know, the league goes out and says, yep, we need this amount of players um, sort of playing each game. I think I think it's you know, up to the clubs, you know. Um, yeah, it's been proven to be a great investment for these teams. You know, the amount of revenue that we've seen come over the the summer with the sales, it it really does seem like that's the way to go. And it's up to the teams on whether they want to do that with what they want to do with that on. Do Do you agree with Antonis's point around? So, like Melbourne Victory is a classic example. Probably out of all the teams in the league, they don't really have much of a youth focus. When you look, just let's just go off the squad for example against Newcastle. There's really not many players in 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 the squad starting eleven and subs who who you know, maybe it's like Eli Adams and that's really it for example, um, they win the league. Let's say, do you agree with Antonis's point that it doesn't really do anything for anyone else, or does it doesn't matter? Does it really have to do anything for the landscape, or can they just be happy with their title? Well, it's interesting because at the end of the day, players also have different pathways. Like, let's look at, for example, someone like Ben Falami. I think we forget, yeah. for example, how young he is. You know, he's someone who's 22-23. Nishan Valupale, 22-23. These players that, yeah, they may not be, you know, 19-year-olds and, you know, super exciting, but uh, they're still young players and they can still, for example, here, earn a move to Europe and then make a move there. Someone like Aiden O'Neill I mentioned before, you know, maybe he's not as exciting, you know, because he's 25, but... In the, the day, like you know, that like like we've seen many players move on and have successful careers. Aaron Moy moved in his mid twenties, you know, and had a great career there. So I, th- I think it's good to develop these players as soon and as young as possible, you know, to give them as much time as possible to sort of dominate Europe, shall we say? But yeah, I, I'd say at the end of the day, it's yeah, it's, it's context based. Yeah, you know, every yeah. team's different, every every player's different. You know, someone like Macklin Freak, for example, he's mid twenties and he's sort of have his breakout year at the moment now. Like everyone's different, you know, but. And and for example, I know uh, we've talked about before Japan. Um, a lot of their players have sort of broken out, maybe a little bit o- uh, older. You know, I think it's due to the sort of the way they work with their college system or their universities. Um, players, for example, yeah, will study there and then will sort of break through. I'm thinking someone with Mitoma. Um, so yeah, I, I think at the end of the day, it's you know like obviously that they're not playing as many games at that younger age, so they can last a little bit longer. Endo, Wataru Endo at Liverpool. I, 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 yeah, there's many examples, but. Uh, so I, I, I think it's just sort of up to what we want to do, you know, uh, do we want to play these kids a lot when they're young? You know, we're seeing that a lot with Adelaide, with Nestory, with Panache, with Johnny Yule, or do we want to, yeah, maybe sort of save them? I, I don't know. I don't know. It, it's, it's, well, you, you it's could, also yeah. a point that you made. Um, it's not just about the young players. It's also about like the underappreciated assets as well that I feel that Central Coast has done very well over yeah. the last. Oh, I was years. just going to mention yeah. this with victory. Ryan Teague's an interesting example, yeah. for example, because well, I, I like think that's that, a smart recruitment decision because it's okay. Let's bring this guy back in here. Let's see who, by the way, didn't actually, if I'm not mistaken, actually ever play the mm. senior game in the A League before, funnily enough, before he went to Europe. Well, now he would be ready to for sure come in here, do a job, and then maybe we could actually make money from him 
uh, when yeah. he goes again. You know what I mean? So yeah, yeah it's not like I'm saying. It's, it doesn't have to be from your own backyard. Everything you know, you might be able to yeah. see someone that's not fully appreciated, not fully clicking elsewhere. That you can offer an opportunity, and the Mariners have done that very well the last year or two. And there's no problem with that either. If you see an opportunity, even United's done that with Luke Dizel, who they've picked him up. He hasn't played a ton of games. But Carl Beard obviously sees something because he's been offered a three-year contract. So, you know, that hurts fair game as well. You know, if you can not just getting someone that's been to 27 clubs in Australia to just plug a hole in your team, but someone that you're like, oh, he can do a job here that they're not utilizing, we'll get him in. We don't have 27 clubs, in Australia, professional clubs in Australia, Matt. Thank God, um, because some people would fill them up. <laughs> All right. Um, okay, let's move on. Finally, to our big questions heading into round three. Antonis, you can keep talking. Start with your big question. Okay, so my question focuses on the two clashes at the extremes of the ladder. Because we've got 11 versus 12 with City and Sydney FC and first versus second victory Adelaide. My question is for both clashes, who blinks first? Okay, who falters first in those clashes? Because we've got two sides that have done very well to start the season. And two sides that really haven't. Who falls this first and how do the games play out? Mm. There's some really looking forward to those clashes. All right. Let's briefly discuss it. Jake, who falters first? <laughs> Golly. I don't know. You've, you've put me on the spot here a bit. I don't know. Uh, hey, I said we were going to discuss it. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. But I don't know. I was, just, yeah, I was, I was shocked because Cody just randomly disappeared all of a second. So I was just, I was like, what the hell is going on here? My dog was crying at the door. So I felt like I need to show her a bit of attention. My dog's snoring. So. Yeah, dog issues. Um, no, all right, yeah, answer the question. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Um, yeah, do, do, do I want to repeat it again, Natonis. I've, I've just been caught off guard. Yeah, my, yeah, basically, I'm talking about, and I don't know the answer either. It's just a question I'm very interested in finding out about because I feel it's going well, to tell you. Us I want the answer. <laughs> I think it's going to tell us a bit about the side because first we've got victory against United, the top two teams after the first round. Again, you've got two sides that play very differently too. Mm. Who's going to fold the first there? And also City, Melbourne City versus Sydney FC, two sides with a lot of expectation coming this year, hasn't really gone their way. Again, who blinks first in that matchup? Again, Whoa, what about, what you, could you, you reframe the City, Sydney one to who actually kind of digs himself out of the hole, I guess. Yeah, a little bit, uh, even that, but like we've, again, if someone falters, can they get out of it? Because then there's three weeks in a row. So, again, yeah. there's just yeah. a lot to think about there. I don't have the answer, but it's a question I've got. Yeah, <laughs> and, and I, I, I can't really give you an answer either, because at the end of the day, I, I'm, I'm extremely excited for both of these clashes. I think yeah. versus Adelaide, the original derby, you know, the, the Northern Terrace clack was absolutely pumping last week. It's going to be a fantastic game. I'm hoping to go there. Hopefully, it'll be the first game I can report on as media. That's going to be extremely exciting, but anyways, and then we have, yeah, the City versus Sydney clash as well. Two teams that just are very, you know, sort of underperforming at the moment, but you're just waiting for one of them to just be able to turn around and just see like, wait, we're Melbourne City. Wait, we're Sydney FC. Let's play football now. You know, we've got yeah. the ability to do it. So I, I guess at the end of the day, it's just, just wait and see, I guess. Um, yeah, I, I can't give you an answer. And I, and I guess it's just going to say a lot about the character of a couple of the teams here because, again, with our first game, one of these sides may start with three losses in a row. Mm. And in the other one, two teams that came in with question marks in this year, 
will have a perfect nine points potentially, and they might potentially be nine points clear of either Melbourne City or Sydney FC after three rounds, which is mm. just a bit mind blowing to think about, isn't it? Well, victory could win and City could lose, so there you go. Victory could be nine points ahead of City after after three rounds again, only three rounds. But yeah, I think it's for me it, when we have scenarios like this, it's all about the the approaches. So like. We we just had our discussion about Rado Vidicic before, you know. How does he approach this? Is he go? No, you know we have to we have to take this game to Sydney FC. We have to show them we're at home and we need the result. So we have to be, you know, at our possession based, high pressing best as much as possible. Or do we see him maybe go into his show a little bit because he's worried about losing a third game in a row? So that's where that's where the interesting plot lines come in. And then victory in Adelaide is fascinating as well because you know. I think for Adelaide, it's really fascinating because we've seen this young team do it at home and it's been really nice and great to watch, but now it's kind of a bit of a dogfight sort of game. So now you're going to see how particularly some of these younger players, like Johnny Yole, these types are going to really respond in this sort of environment. So very interesting. Uh, that's, a good, that's a good one. Cody, you want anything, anything to add on that? It's funny, actually, my question related around Sydney FC as well, so it's a little bit... Well, why don't you, why don't you, why don't you give, give your question then? Well, mine's basically how do Sydney FC, um, bounce back from two pretty poor losses? And it's the reason why I'm singling them out particularly is because, you know, we saw this size quality in the, in the Australia Cup. They do have the potential to be successful. And it's just been two games where it's like, okay, things have kind of taken a real dippy, but it's taken a little bit, people a little bit by surprise as well. Maybe. The absence of Jack Rodwell's really starting to seep in and play a part in itself. But this is a game where they're now playing another side who's struggling. So you can look at it as both an opportunity to get one up on um yourself. You've got, okay, yep, we're going up against another side that's struggling. This is our chance to really make a difference and go, okay, yep, this is where our season begins. We take advantage of the situation and we go forward. But on the other hand, it could also be a double-edged sword in the sense that this is a side that is also going to come out and play against you. And when it's Melbourne City as well, when they're in the rut that they're in, it can be a really, really dangerous situation. Sydney FC, I don't believe they're of the same quality as Melbourne City, which is why I'm sitting there thinking this is a more precarious situation for themselves because if there's someone who, if there is going to be a team that finishes 0-3 and three after three rounds, my money right now is on Sydney FC and no matter who it is, it's going to be disastrous for them, but they're the ones that I'm thinking are going to be in that situation. It could be a draw for all I know. Like this game could really peter out and be a little draw if I'm going to go back to what you were talking about before, but um yeah I think Sydney FC is probably the one I'm a little bit more worried about right now. Yeah, I'm intrigued to see. I just spoke about Rado's approach. I mean, what about Corriga? Because I think it's it it'd be a bit of a surprise. I feel if Sydney FC rocked up and felt they could try and go toe to toe with Melbourne City, I just don't. I I, I, I as well. Yeah, I would expect a more conservative approach. I'm actually going to introduce my question here because this kind of ties into all of this. We're kind of all overlapping a little bit here, which is out of Rado Vidicic, Steve Corriger, and Mark Jackson, might as well just include him in this as well since they're the three managers start at 0-2. Who's, who's under the most pressure, I guess, this weekend? Rado. Rado. 100%. Yeah. Yeah. So I think... He's the one with... The biggest expectation setting into this, you know. So Rado, Rado, definitely more than Corriga, definitely. Well, Corriga's got a trophy three weeks yeah, ago under yeah, his belt. Yeah, yeah. And he's been backed by Sydney FC. Weirdly, sorry, can I just weirdly though some bad situations, you know? Yeah, yeah. Weirdly, it feels though. I mean, you only have to scroll through comments 
online after the Brisbane result. And maybe it's just that's how Sydney FC fans are and they're very expectant. So when there's one loss, that's how they're going to be. But there doesn't feel like there's much of a difference in the way Steve Corrigan's perceived this year to last. Uh, if it's, you know, it doesn't seem like that trophy's really changed much, I think, amongst their fan base. I think it doesn't change perception, but it changes yeah. job security. You've won yeah, a trophy yeah, three years yeah. ago. Who's, who in their right mind is going to sack a coach in that situation? Yeah. I think it's more. Well, Antonis, maybe one of your clubs in Greece would do that, but but maybe not here. Uh, Olympiakos has sacked a coach that sat 10 points clear because they didn't rate his playing style. So, <laughs> uh, but yeah, going back to this, again, funnily enough, I think it is about the playing style. <laughs> um, it's. You look at how they've played the last couple of games. The most concerning thing about me is they just haven't created anything. You're just like, mm. well, how have you not created anything? Where is this? Where are the goals going to come from? Because you got players that can do it. But no, the goal, just, but that's what the, the, you, you think. Sure, I mean, Mac and Lolly still look very dangerous. I, right, I, I actually right. still thought Mac in the first half on Friday against Brisbane actually still looked really good. Um, and again, but again, it's the you go wide and it goes through that. I th- what else does Sydney have that they've shown us in the last couple of weeks? That's markets because yeah, you've this got, is, this, yeah. you've this got is a why this of is a striker. Yeah. You've got a gun of a striker that you sign, yeah. and you can't get a touch with the ball. Yeah, who and Gomez seems very not to talk too much about the players because we are focusing on the managers here. But Gomez seems very reliant on service. So this, but this kind of ties into Steve Corrigan because now you need to figure out a way where you can get consistent supply into this guy. Otherwise. What a waste, right? So yeah, and all know, three coaches have that. To be honest, with Qual, McLaren, and Gomez. Yeah, if we're looking, um, yeah, if we're looking specifically at the nines, I think City have got a similar problem for sure with McLaren. And yeah, you could say Qual, although I think Qual's got a bit more to his game probably than just being an out-and-out poacher um, compared to the other two. But for Corriga, like you're going to see now, this is an interesting game because he could really use us as a springboard, but also. You know, you've got to try and reinvent the wheel a little bit, I think, because I know it worked in the Australia Cup. I get it, and people will go on about it, but I just feel like it's different when we come into the season. Everyone's, you know, completely different mentality going into games, and now the tactical battle becomes more important, and none more so than on Friday night. That That's that's a fascinating game uh, to watch. It's uh, quite ideal that it's turned out like that. Um, Jake, it, please tell me your question is different than... Um, no, anything on, uh, anything on Steve Corrigan or Rado Vitisic? Yeah, you leaked it for us. <laughs> it, 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 initially, it was on Rado, but I feel like we've just it's just a dead horse at this point. Like, like just <laughs> you, you started that you started the Rado slaughter. <laughs> yeah, I, I know. I, I I just feel bad now. Let's just change it up, please. Um, I, I want to move to a team maybe hasn't been mentioned as much. So I think mm. it's really interesting. Is Perth Glory? Mm. Um, mm. I think going into the season, you know, with Stadge coming in, I think you know, sort of the remnants of what sort of Zads was able to build last season. I, I had a good feeling about them. Zads. I don't know. I, I, I just thought sort of didn't take a good name. But um, yeah, they, they've had a tough start. I think two late sort of blemishes that have just killed them. Um, you know, obviously in the first game against uh, Newcastle where Ollie Sale, he's he's just not had a good start for Perth, even in preseason. He's just, yeah, I, I don't know. It's, it's been Let, Let's not sugarcoat, Jake. Ollie Sale's been shocking. Okay. Yeah, he, he has been terrible. And honestly, and ever since he actually agreed to the move, he did not end that season very well with Wellington. And maybe it's affected him now with his performances here. So that's one to keep it, an eye on. It has been interesting to watch. And I think when you've got a very capable young goalkeeper in Cam Cook sort of waiting, you know, sort of there 
do you you know buy the bullet there? I think especially since Cam Cook is very good in the ball too. I really I really, really like Cam Cook. He's a good player. But well, um, I mean, not not to harp on to our under twenty three discussion, but that's maybe an example of a bad recruitment choice, right? But anyway, there we go. Uh, and, yeah, yeah, let's let's think about this. It's not a status recruit, is it? So you don't feel beholden to backing this guy in week in week out because he didn't sign him, obviously. So that's something to consider. He's obviously the senior player, but again, he's arguably cost this. Oh, not arguably, he's cost us like two weeks in a row. When does the buck stop? Yeah, yeah and I'm oh, sorry, you're right. no, you're right. Uh, I mean, they're facing the Mariners as well in round three. So another team who we we discussed, you know, uh, not in need of a result or anything, but, you know, uh, don't want to start 0-3 either. So, yeah, it's uh, it's been a fascinating weekend. Um, just quickly, uh, some of the games and, I guess, teams that we didn't focus on. I mean, Brisbane winning 3-0 against Sydney uh, was massive. Um, and uh, Rossalona, as uh, Antonis described it. <laughs> it's Rossalona or... Rossalona with a small with a lowercase R. Yeah, um, just quickly, Antonis, very impressed by Ross at the moment. Yeah, look, again, when you look at the team, it's not hugely different from last year, which just tells you just how he's been able to get them to play. I don't know how the season will play out for them, but again, you just get a good feeling. Forget about the off-pitch stuff and what's going on there, good or bad. It actually, just watching them play as an isolated team on the pitch, you can see they're enjoying their football. And that's you haven't been able to say that for a while for Brisbane Raw. So I'm enjoying watching them play. You take the game on to Sydney FC, who really, a couple of weeks ago, they absolutely did them in the second half of that cup final. Yeah. So for you to come out... And that was say, a weird oh, game. Not- you know, we, we never spoke about the Australia Cup final, but in the first half, Brisbane actually were completely yeah. killing Sydney. And then all of a sudden, it just completely flipped. But anyway. But for yeah. a side that's dealt that disappointment many times in the past, that, oh, we'll play well for a bit, and then we're going to be completely outplayed, you might be, I guess, forgiven for thinking, oh, the ghosts are coming back in. Where's that confidence against this thing? But no, they just went back in at them, and they made sure not to make that same mistake again. So I was very impressed with the manner of that victory, not just the victory, the manner of it. Yeah, and then... uh Jake, we didn't talk about Wellington uh, a lot yet. Uh, obviously, they came up in our discussion last week, and we mentioned Alex Paulson as well. But another new manager with Giancarlo Italiano. Just quickly, what you saw against Perth, another solid defensive display from, from Wellington. Yeah, I think that's what's really caught my eye about them this season. They have got a lot of young players coming into that defense, and I think you're always a bit iffy on how are they going to adjust that next level. But Lucas Kelly-Heald, he was someone I was very excited going into the season. He looks thinks well, thinks he's a goalkeeper. He's monstrous as well. yeah. in his build. He's six foot seven, a left back. And in terms of that, sorry, thing, just yeah, his build. You're right. Oh my god, I when I when I saw him um, for the first time, I was, oh my god, like he's a monster as a left back. Like wow, um, it, it, it reminds me a lot of like in uh, sorry to bring back but the career mode, but like FIFA career mode, you just get like these six foot eight left backs. <laughs> so like it's just it's this happening, but in real life, it's just absolutely baffling. But he, he looks great. He's very good going forward. Finn Sermon, love to see him back in the team. He sort of got dropped out last season. He looks great. Then yeah, he, he actually had some very. Um, I think it was uh, Jason Pine um, who asked him the question when they were doing their media during the week, and he had he posted the response that Finn Sermon gave to one of his questions about kind of why he dropped out last year, and the response that he gave and stuff. You just thought, wow, like you know, uh, very mature player, very mature. 
No, he seems like a great kid, and I think he's going to be monumental for, for uh, Wellington this season. If they mm, definitely right. look, look like they could push for... Nathan Paul levels are monumental, or...? Oh, we'll see. We'll see. I, I think uh, that'll be the monumental debate at the end of the season, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but even moving forward, like they, yeah, they've retained Zavada, they've retained Krajevs, two of the more sort of attacking, you know, promising attackers, well, in the league, well, not because they're aged, but they're just great to watch. And they have a lot of yeah, just talented young players sort of surrounding this squad. So it's again Wellington every single season. People predict them down the bottom, and they just they just impress. They just always exceed those expectations. Not, not just people, Jake. Us as well. Um, but... oh, oh, to be fair, <laughs> I, I, I gave them their flowers. I did. I, I was like, look, I can think this team can still push because they, they, they just have, like, like, I think like other teams like Adelaide, they just have a good culture, I feel, around their team. They're just always pushing, have this younger sort of vibe to them. I don't know. I, I like Wellington. All right. Uh, we'll, yeah. we'll keep it moving because you have a bedtime. <laughs> 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 For the viewers. <laughs> Oh man. Uh yep, that's the downside to recording late on a Monday night. Um but Cody, you were at this game. We didn't talk about the Wanderers. I know they won five nil, but mainly because we talked we spoke about them a lot last week. But they shut us up with their five nil win. You just want to briefly you were at the game, briefly give a little insight. I mean, Lockie Brook, two excellent goals. The first one's unbelievable. And Nicholas Milanovic, kind of a little bit of payback to, to to West United, a little bit of Antonis, a little bit of you didn't want me, uh, sort of thing with that one too. Um, what, a little what bit of um, gritty Cody. vibes, I guess. What's that, Cody? The celebration that he did, the gritty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was going to say, surely you know what I'm talking about, man. You're not older than 35s. You should what? be in touch with today's culture. Mate, I, I'm not someone who's active on TikTok, that's for sure. No, but and I said it last week. There was a lot that I think can still come from this Wanderers side, but they needed to make sure that they were able to get on top of themselves quickly and be able to start performing quickly. The conditions last week that they played in were horrible. I know Wellington Phoenix played in it themselves, but when Wellington were going into that game, I think to sit back a little bit and just make sure that they were able to get something out of that game, and you know things did go their way as well. Wanderers score early. They they um Paulson had to pull off a great great save at the start of the match. That goes in. You never know what's going to happen afterwards. But Wanderers, they came out this game. They started fast. They did everything they needed to do. And it's funny enough, you've got a coach in Mark Rudin who coming into the press conference after the match, and if anything, you could just sense that he was frustrated they didn't score in the second half. So when you've got that mentality going behind you as well, it's a scary proposition going forward. To be honest, on- if anything, they kind of overperformed their... I mean, Jake mentioned XG before. I mean, the Wanderers like massively overperformed their XG on Saturday, did they not? Oh, I don't know about XG. I didn't really look at the XG. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. But well, um, in terms of... Dare to think what Lucky Brooks' first shot they could shoot was. <laughs> oh, yeah, like 0.03 or something like I, that. Honestly, I think at halftime they had something like 0.9 XG or something, Wanderers, and they scored five. Like, it was it was crazy. Like, just I'd be surprised if it was that low. Like they, had, like, they had corners that were, you know, relatively close to the goal. Like, there was opportunities to score yeah. there. And, you know, even taking advantage of set pieces as well, it's obviously going to bump you up a little bit further in that step. But, look, I'll be honest, I'm not much of a stats man myself. I'm a vibes kind of guy, and the way Wanderers are playing... Every time they went forward, you got this that feeling that they were going to be able to create something at score. And at the back, West United were struggling to be able to really get in behind the Wanderers. You know, um, Aloisi mentioned they were able to create one or two chances. I didn't see anything that was a clear cut chance that they really should have gotten something from. And it's a testament to Wanderers' back line to be able to do that. You know, so much emphasis was put on their defensive ability last season, but now they've really got the attack in order, and they got the attacking order towards the end of last season, but being able to replace the likes of Leone 
and still look confident going forward. And to do it through, you know, young players at the club as well, as much as they're not maybe built by the club, but still young guys that you're given that opportunity to, it's something special as well. I think Wanderers, I said last week that they'd be exciting torch this season. I think they've proven why this week. Did you hear that, people? Um, Cody's a vibes kind of guy. All right. So, uh, I love my vibes, man. Yeah. Call me the vibe manager of FPF. Shout out Andy Manel. Uh, no, I'm not going to call you that. And you weren't appointed that. So, no, you're not, yeah, you're not the vibe manager. We don't have a vibe manager. Cause, cause <laughs> I, I don't know why. <laughs> um, and oh, the last, the last team we got to touch on, um, because we spoke at the Mariners, but MacArthur, it's actually a very important win for them off the back of, of, off the back of that AFC Cup result. Um, Antonis and Jake, I think you were watching this game as well. Um, actually very impressed by their character that they showed because I thought in the first half they weren't great and then they kind of just turned the game in their favor. And one thing I've picked up on, just if we could talk briefly about this, they've actually got a really nice front four. Uh, going there too. You got German, of course, who I think will now start to get some goals. Um, but Rafa Bo- Borges Rodriguez is fantastic. Jed Drew, we know his quality from last year. And then Jake Holman looks like he's actually going to be unleashed a little bit in an advanced role, which I think is fantastic. Really suits him really well. Um, either of you or both of you, uh, feel free to give your thoughts on MacArthur because a, a, a very, a very big win for them. Yeah, it's been one that hasn't been really spoken about. As you said, there's a bit that to be excited about. I really like Ali Ogla as well. I'm a real big fan of his too. And yeah, just Valesia, man, for that goal. Um, and that touch and that pass is so silky smooth, you know? He and looks he like makes- one of those foreign, like, you know how we, some of our imports that we get in and you can see straight away, like, <laughs> can't believe I'm mentioning this guy, but Suleiman Kerpich for the Wanderers last year, <laughs> who, who, who we who we had lots. This of is nightmare about. fuel, Christian. This oh, no, is no, no. bad. No, no, no. But but just just quickly, you see, I'm going to land the plane in a minute. You see, like remember, like five minutes in to his debut, you could just see it's like nah, no, 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 right? You know what I mean? Whereas like Jaman, you can see it's like okay, this is why this guy played in the Europa League final. You know uh, what I mean? Like there's just a different you know, level. Though, like when you play a team with like the Mariners who are doing so much positive and they can't finish it off. To have Germain taking those yeah. touches in the final third, to have that finish, that just taking it with such a plum, you know, it makes such a difference. And that's what wins you the points, you know. It's a very exciting front few players, but also their ability to withstand, I guess, that pressure of the Mariners and then to be able to do that on the other end. Good signs. Jake, what do you think of MacArthur? Oh, it was a very, very sort of inspiring comeback almost from their, their terrible loss midweek. I was not expecting much from them at all. You know, against Central Coast at home off the back of a nice win, they pull off a great result. And yeah, I think some of their new signings have really impressed me. Clayton Lewis looks like a fantastic pickup in that midfield, sort of that deep lying playmaker, picking passes there and about. Yanni Nicolau making the step up from MPL. I feel like yeah, he looks really all right. Good. Nicolau, yeah, he's been, he's been very good at right back. He's been able to keep Matt Miller out of that team, which I think is very impressive. And even Jed Drew, I think he was good last season, but I think this season he's taken that step up. Like I think he's that consistent week in week out sort of player. And I'm interested, like you mentioned with Jake Holman, very very good player rating. But it'll be interesting to see how they do fit that with Davila, who obviously they rested yeah. this game. But mm. you know, surely you don't bench Davila though. So I think it'll be really interesting to see how they're gonna balance that perhaps obviously jay coleman can play a bit deeper but i feel like maybe you don't really get some of those sort of his best attributes out you know playing so deep i think i like him sort of a bit more advanced involved in the attack so 
Uh, I think it's a really interesting thing. Like, I'm going to be honest, I tipped MacArthur for the wooden spoon, but they've, they've played really well so far this season. I wasn't, you know, wasn't sure what Stoyovsky was trying, you know, sort of trying to build here, but they've, they've done, you know, bloody well, to be fair. So you were feeling like brilliant. They lost in Cambodia. These guys are 100% finishing bottom. Even just the preseason, like, I, th- I think um, since Stoyovsky took over, I just wasn't really liking what I was seeing, but. Uh, they, they surprised me, you know. They 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 got, they got mm. the draw the first week. They got this one here. And really, they, and really, they probably should have won against Brisbane, to be honest. Exactly. So the, yeah. they've they've played well. So you know, yeah. fair play to them. And uh, it'll be interesting to see sort of what they can make of this season. Obviously, it'll be interesting to see how they sort of balance it with the AFC Cup. It's something I probably expect them to go a little bit further in. You know, if, if they can sort of you know, get the results. Yeah. All right, boys. Um, like Cody touched on. Uh, it's time for bed, and I'm like an old man when it comes to sleep. So um, that was Jake. That was yeah, not yeah, me. Yeah, I'm. I'm just, oh. so, so it's also the Jack call now. I'm Cody. I don't he's already. He's already half asleep. That's see, see, case in point. Um, but that that wrap it up. Uh, for this episode of the pod. Uh, socials. Make sure you're following us: Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, um, LinkedIn, Threads, uh, Spotify. Give us a follow on here. Give us. Like I mentioned last week, give us some feedback, please. Um, you know, let us know if there's anything new you want to see on the podcast. Do you like our talking points segment? Do you like our big questions segment? If you don't, um, let us know, but in a nice way, maybe. Um, and uh, <laughs> chuck us a review as well on Spotify too, because uh, it's always good to know, you know, how we're going, whether we're giving you the coverage, I guess that uh, that you want. So, um, yeah, any feedback and suggestions, please, please pass it on. Boys, thanks for joining me again. Uh, let's see. I don't. I don't think I'm. I'm. You know. I'm. I'm getting sick of some of the people on this panel after two weeks in a row. So I think we might mix it up next week. I. I don't know. Yeah, bloody hell, Antonis. Yeah. No. Just question. If you do, can you make sure you communicate in crystal clear English your expectations? Because that will be phenomenal for the panelists. I will in my role as editor. Anyway. Um. <laughs> Yeah, and no, I'm definitely changing up the cast uh, next week. Um, but uh, anything you guys wanted to add before before we go? Uh, nothing. Or me. yeah, or or you can actually say that you don't want to add anything. That would also make it uh, very clear. Hashtag SA great. Thank you very much. <laughs> oh, Hashtag water season. I'll tell you, this is why. This is why. Hopefully, victory win against Adelaide. Otherwise, Santos is going to be unbearable. Anyway, uh, <laughs> that's it for another episode of the Front Page Football Podcast. Until next time, it's bye for now.